The Football Pod with Paddy and Andy. For me, footwork has been something that's got me out of trouble uh, on more than one occasion on and off the pitch, so uh, I'll go with that one. <laughs> Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GAA podcast feed now. We're all back together on the Football Pod. It's episode 24 this week. And if I could describe this weekend, it would be the most stereotypical weekend for Paddy Andrews and Andy Moran this week. <laughs> Paddy Andrews was off in the sun on a stag playing golf. Andy Moran got knocked out of the club championship on Friday and then was on the TV on Sunday as the Leitrim manager at the Leitrim County final. So I don't know where to start here, lads. There's a lot of news to get through here. Let's start with Paddy. How are you doing, Pat? Not too bad now. I'm, <laughs> I would have loved if we recorded this pod before I went away in the stag as opposed to late on the Monday night now. But uh, needs must. I've had a, a long day rested up and, and doing a little bit of work today. Got home late last night from uh, from Spain. So, yeah, a nice couple of days away in the sun. Didn't catch up with the Leitrim County final yesterday, but seen it on Twitter today that I, I missed an absolute cracker by all accounts. You 100% did. There's definitely a bit of sun over there in uh, in Spain this week. You've got a nice colour. There was. was, yeah. It was about 25, 26 degrees. It was top class for uh, mid-October, yeah. So we were blessed. Yeah, it was deadly. Great no. time. Uh, a good crowd. I was trying to get a, a bit of insight on Instagram over the weekend, but I think Niles Scully was the only man giving a few bits away. There was nothing There was nothing much coming out. <laughs> he was told not to, but <laughs> maybe he was a little bit looser now by Friday. Nah, no. But that golf grip on your stag. Yeah. <laughs> We'd, uh, we'd a bit of golf Friday and then we're out in a boat on Saturday, yeah. Sunday was. We're trying to find the Leitrim match somewhere on the Marbella Strip and we just couldn't get it. <laughs> I was looking for Andy Moran. I was Googling Andy Moran in Marbella and nothing would come up for me. Paddy, I, uh, I went up to his club championship match on Friday. I was up in Ahamore and there was something beautiful about it. It was Friday night lights. It was a country club in Ahamore. You had to park the car up by the church, walk up in the darkness. I actually asked the fellow where the pitch was and he started laughing at me. Up on the left, went into the pitch. It was cold, it was frosty, it was raining. Magic. Balladream were unlucky. They drew. They should have got through. I'll let Andy talk about it in a second. But when I looked at Andy Moore in the warm-up, socks up, I said, that's a championship haircut. Until I realised... Look and then I realised it was a TV. It was a TV haircut. He was getting it all done for TG Car on the Sunday. Know, I, I don't doubt that. I've no doubt on that. Shawnee McDermott, look after you again. Oh, all of Shawnee's man, yeah. But they, they, like, what I what I love about Paddy Andrews now coming home from a two three day stag. We call it a three day, and he's to lead this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, I got your I got your email through earlier on on Rory. <laughs> first line, Paddy to take the lead here. That's because we've got Rory Gallagher coming on the pod this week, lads. A man that Paddy Andrews has a lot of history with. As I said on two weeks ago when I said we got Rory, he started laughing when I said that Paddy Andrews is the co-host. So uh, let Rory off on his own. Rory will talk. He'll keep going for a solid yeah. hour here. We won't have to say anything, lads. Trust me. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Andy, it was a busy weekend in your household. Hard luck Friday night. Yeah, Tommy was, uh, was disappointing, actually. Jeez, I can't stop thinking about it since, if I'm being honest with you. It's, been, it's just been one of those uh, one of those ones. They don't come around too often, chances like that. But yeah, we're first time we've ever got knocked out of the club championship drawn again, uh, which is unusual. Uh, but it was the previous games that kind of kind of did us. We, we, we did quite well against Westport for long periods. And then the last couple of minutes, we let it run away from us. And then uh, we played Ball in the second round game. We were well up in, and then Ball nearly, nearly, nearly caught us then at the end. So it was them two games that did the damage. Castlebar were more consistent throughout the three games, and uh, that game on 
on Friday night was always going to be tight. Um, just the two teams where they're at. Um, both have older players like myself and then real young, exciting players coming through as well. So it was it was one of those games where both teams were coming in the right nice, nice time. And Casper have a huge chance though. And they're on the right side the right side of the draw and they've they've a good chance. Yeah, no, it was it was really enjoyable evening. I just it kinda it fed into the, the game on Sunday then that we saw in the Leitrim County final. Two teams at a similar level going at it. Championship football, it matters. You can't beat it. And we saw that in Leitrim at the weekend. You must have been impressed. That was great. Like, what a story. Banlamore's first title in 30 years. Yeah, which is amazing. But away from the the, the, the players and the, the quality, it was just a great game, to be honest. You. Like we, we looked around after about 10 or 11 minutes. We said, this is... Joe, you didn't think you could keep going at the pace pace went on, but it, it did. Uh, more looked like they were home and host. It was about 10, 12 minutes to go. Uh, it looked like they were controlling the game. And then... Well, the more bring on two or three uh, real lively, uh, real lively players, and uh, it just they just kind of they ran it out the gate, and McGovern and these guys came good in there. Then, you know, Paddy, I don't know if you, you obviously didn't see the game, but I don't know if you saw the the message I just threw into our WhatsApp group there of the brains trust. Um, the TG Carr cameras caught them again. You can see uh, that's Barry McWeeny beside you, isn't it? Mike Solon, Jenny on the left. And who's the two boys in front of you? Because there's a brilliant sports file photo that I've thrown up now on, on the Football Pod Instagram page. Trying to guess the caption, what you two boys were talking about in front. Did you see that photo now? I have it here now. So, yeah, that's, James, that's James Clancy in front of us. And then that's John. Oh, that's Glancy in front of you. I was wondering who that was. Yeah, okay. So Glancy and John McManus actually beside him. So John would be the sponsor on the back of the jersey. Okay. So he'd be... Uh, um, yeah, himself and Clancy would be club mates. We won't matter how much men, so they know each other well. So that's who them guys are, yeah. So, uh, but Jenny's the real brains there, as we found out over the last couple of weeks in the pod. We know that. Yeah, know yeah. That. So, um, no, nah, no, it was, it was brilliant. Good to catch up with the lads. Uh, the lads know them well. They know the the, the older guys um, really well. They like Daniel Beck and Wayne McKeown and these guys, you know, fellas who've kind of drifted away from the panel. Uh, but some of them could be could be good enough still to play, you know. Yeah, I'd say there was a real excitement then around the place, when, especially when Ballinamore did it, because Mohull have been there thereabouts for a couple of years, and it's always nice to get a, a new county champion, even though I think they're the most successful club in the county. It's a long time coming, so plenty of, of young talents that caught the eye. Keith Byrne was one, Paddy. We'll have to send you on the highlights. He kicked a couple of bombs. You had Tom Pryor playing, and uh, the match winner, Niall McGovern, scored a savage goal uh, to win it later on. So, yeah, real excitement. Another thing that's heated up this week, lads, is special congress. And by the time we get into episode yeah. 25 next week, we will know, we will know what next year's championship is going to look like. I'll be honest, we've done an awful lot of pieces and off the ball over the last uh, three weeks. We have a playlist there in our YouTube account. You can listen to about eight hours of debates and arguments and, and bits of insight into special Congress and the two, the three proposals, I suppose, that are in front of us at the minute. And uh, I'm, I'm a little worried at the minute, to be honest. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but just the word that we're getting from, we've had um, two members of the Ulster Council, we've had Brian McFoy from the Ulster Council on, and you heard that piece, and we've had Michael Reynolds on from Leinster GA as well. Two very well-spoken men who are very, 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 very set in what they believe, and that is that the provincial championships cannot be taken away. That link cannot be broken in the All-Ireland Championship. So, I don't know, you can listen to those pieces if you want and uh, make up your own minds. But um, that Michael Reynolds piece got a lot of reaction today. Tom Parsons came out and was not happy with a, a bit of it too. So. I've seen some of the stuff on Twitter from some pretty high-profile players and ex-players who were definitely challenging 
the tone and the message of, of what was delivered to you guys this morning. Um, it's worrying. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. You, you, you kind of see the reaction over the last couple of weeks and the surveys the GPA have done. I know Conor O'Donoghue was off the task force speaking about the monetary gains that this would generate for the, for the counties and for the championship. Actually, you were on your stag team. You might have missed this. The GA then came back and they released their own figures and they, they kind of said, look, Connor's figures are wrong, but the G8 right. figures, but the G8 figures that they put out, which seem quite pessimistic, show that there's next to no difference. Regardless of what change you make, it's pretty much the same money-wise. Right. So what what's there to lose? Like, do you know whether Connor's projections are quite ambitious when he actually said they were actually weren't, they were actually quite uh, conservative. Mm-hmm. Or the GEA's ultra conservative uh, do you know, one is that we don't lose money. Look at that's why money doesn't matter this week. It's not about money. It it it's yeah. sorry, Paddy, I could have crossed you there. I just thought you might have missed no, that. And, and, and that, that was it. Like it, it seemed like everything was trucking along that that this was mm. gonna go ahead and then like say as much as the players have probably got together and the GPA have rounded up the, the troops. Yeah pretty clear that the, the uh, county boards and the county councils ha- have gone and done that as well themselves because pretty much day on day from Ulster, from Connacht, from Leinster, these guys are coming out and now saying, hmm. well, look, we don't really support that. So some, of them, like, uh, some county chairman like Michael Dyden came out last Thursday and was an yeah. exceptionally good in the sense that he canvassed the players Players said what they wanted. He canvassed yeah. the management, Mahan and O'Shea and the lads said what they wanted. Then went to the county board and Offaly and Westmead and a number of counties like that. They're all on the same page, which is great luck, which is what you yeah. probably want in a lot of counties. So look, whatever way it goes next week, we'll see what happens. But I, I hope to God, like I'll struggle to talk about structure for a long time, like, but I hope this isn't the end of it if, if, it, if, it, if it ends. Like. You'd like to think that the players here, the guys who are going to go out there doing it, that their say and the the sheer scale of how much of them have supported proposal B mm. is taken into account in some way or form. Yeah. Because at the minute, as we get closer and closer to the to the, to the gig on Saturday, it's probably looking a little bit more unlikely than it was this time seven days ago. So that'd be disappointing. I think it'd be disappointing for the players, it'd be disappointing for the supporters, disappointing for us in the media. Yeah. To cover the championship and, and covering good competitive games. Look, we'll know by this time next week, like I say, episode 25, we'll, we'll have our ducks in a row and we'll know what's happened. But it's going to be an interesting couple of days and see who's out canvassing over the next couple of days to try and swing this one way or the other. But I, The big thing, I, I, I think, and I think with all the debates, if it's Brexit, COVID, whatever, Trump, all this sort of stuff, but what's literally happened, lads, in every debate you have, there's no respect for the other point of view. And I think when you start there and you start there, there's no middle ground. And at the minute, I, that's where I feel we're at. We're at a point where it has to be proposal B or it has to be this. Like I, I said last week, and we, we said on the pod, the Ulster Championship is an absolute amazing competition. So however we get change, that, that has to be... Um, how would you say it? that has to be uh, rewarded that it's such a good competition? It can't be just left as a preseason tournament. Okay, so something has to change. I don't think it has to be a big change from what proposal B is saying, but it has to be saying if you win the Ulster Championship, you get into the quarterfinals, or something needs to be done there. And then it just becomes that we're working together in this compromise set, and you go from there. But at the minute, it's the provincial councils have their backs to the wall. 
and all we're everyone else is just keep pushing them. It, that's just going to make them put their backs to the wall even no, more. Andy, it, it's yeah. because it's it's being debated out on Twitter. That platform itself, there's so much hostility. Like that, that Leinster Council Chairman comes on today and is is pretty much ridiculed by ex-GAA players, pretty high-profile players all over Twitter today. And it's, okay, I might not agree with the points he's making, but you have to have empathy and understand where these guys are coming from. It cannot just be, that guy's a dinosaur. Why do you have him on? How does he make like, it? It was, a, it was a very well-reasoned debate, I felt, on air. I, I know both sides weren't agreeing with each other, but they were getting yeah. their points across. And I actually had a, a half-hour conversation with Michael off air. He referenced it himself. And both of us are coming from different sides. But it, I, I, the one thing I think has been very positive in the last few weeks is that it's been spoken about at length. Yeah. I do think that's a positive. But but Congress, Tommy, Congress is not the place it's, to do this. It's, it's, that's the biggest problem here is Congress isn't the place to do it. Like in no well-organized business do you have to go in and say, right, we have to lobby everyone in 32 different different businesses, four different businesses. They're all sub-businesses within the provincial. So and then you put Congress and then you have to put it all together. Like, come on. Like, 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 the most successful model in the last couple of years is the Dublin model. Costello's over, whatever. I don't even understand really what he does, but yeah. I presume he works something similar to a CEO within the company. And yeah. someone needs to make a bloody decision. And it's not... Everyone has an opinion, but like somebody needs to make a call, and it can't be just votes, votes, votes. If we mm. keep doing stuff like that, I know it, 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 become, it becomes too diluted. And see, there's vested, I, sorry, Paddy, but there's vested interests in there everywhere. Oh, 100%. That's, that's yeah, that's the thing. I've been, at those, I've been at Congress before a couple of times. Used to have you? Oh, many moons ago. Yeah, we used to work at it. I did my work experience there in DC. <laughs> oh, stop. Jeez, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't be going this side. Lads, I'm really excited. We've got Rory Gallagher coming up next in the pod, on the football pod with Paddy and Andy. We're probably going to ask him about special congress at some stage, but I'm not going to make any secret about it. We're going to start off from the start when we get Rory in. And that's not the fact that he played as a cornerback for Fermanagh as a minor when he was 14 years old. No, it's the fact that he coached Paddy Andrews when Paddy Andrews was 14 years old. So stay tuned. And he was a cornerback. (laughs) So Rory Gatter is the reason Paddy Andrews is a cornerback. I don't believe that. Rory never played me in the backs. We fared from, it was, where did I start? DCU. It was Nile Minor. It was Nile Minor put you six, wasn't it? Nile Minor and Declan Brennan. Yeah, back back in. Now we were pretty stacked freshers team. We brought pretty much the whole international rules team (laughs) 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 to play freshers football. So, this was the Celtic Tiger days. We, we were loving it at the time. At the time, uh, so I ended up just being centre back, which is look when you have a team of basically the international rules team, you can play centre back pretty easily. It's a different kettle of fish when you start being put back into the full back line and Sigurdsson Cup and things like that as well. So it was it was this year where it started. Rory, to be fair, always played him in the forwards. He uh, he knew what I was about. So yeah, very special times for me and special times for our club St Bridget's when Rory was down there. Yeah, it's class. And, yeah. yeah, looking forward to getting into it. So hit subscribe and stay with us for the next couple of seconds. We're going to be back with you with Rory Gallagher. All right, you're very welcome back to episode 24 of the Football Pod. Andy Moran's with me, Paddy Andrews with me, and uh, I'm really happy to welcome the Derry boss, Rory Gallagher, to the show. Rory, how are you doing? Doing good, lads. How's it going? Brilliant, Rory. And uh, we were just telling the listeners before uh, we kicked into this interview here that yourself and Paddy Andrews go way back. But you didn't get invited to the stag this weekend. No, we go way back, you know. And uh, when I moved to Dublin in 2002, you know, and uh, 
he, he was somebody I, I connected with very early, even though I think Paddy was only 14, but he was a special talent then, and uh, he, he ended up having a very fruitful career out of it. That's it, Paddy, is it? Well, no, that, that's pretty much, sounds about right. Yeah, he was, um, we had a pretty good underage team with, with Bridget's, our club at the time. We, we, we'd won um, the All-Ireland Fail, which is under 14, Division 1, and we won the under 15 championship in 02, and then Rory came down. Um, it was just a really special time uh, in the club. Rory came in as as the coach and development officer for us and straight away would have had a massive impact with, with our particular team. We were probably the standout juvenile team, uh, but also in the schools and stuff as well. And just connected, I suppose. We got on pretty well, Rory. Yeah. <laughs> in a couple of years there together. But it was, just, it was a really special time for our club as a whole because I think a lot of you guys will see it the senior team started performing and, and competing to win championships as well, whereas Bridget's probably hadn't really done that before. That They'd lost the final in 1999. They lost in the 2001. There was a brilliant Nafina team there with Kieran McGinney and Jason Scherr, Desi Farland, these guys, a really spectacular team. And Bridget's hadn't got over the line and then ultimately Rory and, and his cousin Ramey came in and Jerry McAdee was, was the coach who you'd know, uh, Tommy and we just won the championship and won the Leinster Club Championship in 2003 and that was just when the senior team was going really well that just feeds down to everyone else in the club and it was the Celtic Tiger at the time as well there was lots of good stuff going on around Carnivals was he ever at a carnival? <laughs> <laughs> Rory had to drag me out of a few carnivals now for matches morning as well but we got there in the end but yeah a massive influence on me for those four or five years and then got to play obviously on the, on the senior team and Oh six, I think I made made my debut, and and oh seven, oh eight, we actually lost. We we drew a game with Ballymun and got knocked out of the championship. Like exactly like Andy, you were saying this weekend, it was a group stage, and we drew with Ballymun and, and we were knocked out. And then Rory, you you were gone the following year, I think, wasn't it? You were up up to goals in two thousand. Yeah, you forgot I missed a penalty in that game to, that didn't. No, happen no, you don't remember that. I just didn't want to say. You remember that, yeah. So it is, and that was kind of the, the coming of Philly McMahon and those lads, you know, that ended up being the mainstay of that team, you know. What was that? Oh, uh, oh, oh eight. Oh eight. Or maybe okay. yeah, oh eight. And, yeah. Oh, eight yeah. Uh, come here, Rory. The the, uh, the geezer. There's stories about geezer and the McNulty's going into Nafina and how. Those moves were kind of negotiated in the back corners of Coppers back then in 2000, 2001. Yeah. How did your move come about to Bridget's? I believe it was a coaching position, was it? Yeah, well, I, I was finishing, you know, as we were speaking about, we were, I went Sligo IT, you know, and we we just won a Sigerson, which was absolutely massive at the time. Sligo hadn't won it, you know, Tommy. And you're finishing a college and you're wondering what you're going to do and that sort of thing. And I was very friendly with young Sean Quinn from Fermanagh, you know. Me and Sean had played uh, three years county minors and... Sean uh, had had spent a lot of his uh, most college time in, in Dublin, and he ended up playing with with Bridget. You know where he's just joined Bridget in two thousand two, and he said, "Come on down here, and, and we will win a Dublin championship." You know, like that. Bridget had never won one, and I suppose I thought about it and uh, said, "We go down," and, and he must have been negotiated with the club that there were actually it was a time. Paddy was saying there rightly uh, uh, that they won an All Ireland failure, but at the same time, Castleknock were coming. And Castle Knock were in the area, and I suppose Bridges wanted to compete for them for the players. So they were going to develop a full time coach, you know. So Sean didn't really thank me for it when I ended up pushing him out of the team. He never made the team then, so he didn't. <laughs> and, and he wasn't too happy with that. He wasn't because uh, myself and Raymond slotted into the forward lane, and, and Sean ended up on the bench. But that's how it came about, you know. And I suppose when word leaked, Tommy, that you were going to Dublin, that a few other yeah. clubs came in, and that sort of thing. But it is a decision I never regret, you know. I wanted to go to a club 
that uh, to make a difference. Bridges had never won a championship, which is hard to believe given the pedigree at the time. And like as Paddy says, uh, you know, it was a time it was like a charitable atmosphere the whole time with Dublin sort of coming good, the Celtic Tiger. But Bridges just was like an electric period and it was very unique, you know, the size of the club. We won the championship and I was starting to realise because I was working at the club. I knew more people in the club. I still would know more people in the club than Paddy had said. You know, <laughs> but Paddy, Paddy hasn't been back at Bridges training in about two months. He's been gone for every that. weekend. I was down. My, my niece got a phantom back injury. I heard. You know, <laughs> but uh, you know when, when I'd be around the club because you know all the kids in the schools and the parents boys would be going to be. How do you know them? How do you know them? So it was great. You know, it was a period I really, really enjoyed. Rory, uh, I, I must send on this photo to you because uh, I went looking through Sports File yesterday, and I swear to God, you must have the greatest collection of GA jerseys from your career. <laughs> jerseys you played in, never mind swapping jerseys. Uh, it's a wonderful photo of you and I think it's the final whistle after Bridges won the club championship and you have a couple of Bridges club men or maybe supporters over your shoulders and you're, oh, yeah. I suppose you're crying and uh, it just shows how much it meant to you. Do you know, like it's, it's kind of, it's funny, you're only in the club maybe a year or two. I was only in the club. I, I went down in June 2002 and we played the championship that year. We could beat by Kim and um, I don't mind saying I pushed hard to get Jerry McIntyre in as manager. Jerry was uh, coaching in the club and uh, he never really managed a senior team and I, I became very close to him and still would be, you know. And, and it was just brilliant, you know. I really enjoyed it. Became very friendly with all the lads. There was Leitrim lads there. That Declan, when they say Leitrim, Declan and Ken Darcy who'd lived all their life in Dublin. And Jason Ward, you know. <laughs> it, was, it was a crazy time. But uh, no, that, that final was brilliant because we produced an unbelievable display as well against Kim McCaw. I think we scored 17 points and it was really, really fulfilling period. Would I be right in saying when you dragged in Jerry McEntee as coach there and, and you're coming manager. as manager and you're coming yeah. in as a coaching officer and Paddy Andrews was influenced by you at that age as well. I read a piece by Kieran Shannon maybe about a decade ago and it was talking about your origins as a coach. That happened when you were quite young, I believe. You were overage for a minor team or something in and around Fermanagh, was it in a club and you kind of started getting involved in the coaching sense. Like, did you always know that you had that, I suppose, way of thinking about the game? I didn't always know, Tommy, but you kind of maybe were uh, over the top, taking it, taking it on. So you were... Uh, I suppose it's a loaded question because there's a quote yeah. from Barry Cahill that you were, you were kind of always involved in the coaching side of things. Yeah, probably in, the, in, a, in, in a small club in particular, you felt maybe you knew best whether that was right or wrong. Maybe when you your father and uncle manage the team, you could tell them what to do, probably helped as well. And Yeah, definitely from early on, probably overstepped the mark, but... Even getting getting Jerry McIntyre and God rest him, with Paddy Clark is a brilliant coach as well. You know, we would have communicated with them regularly about what, what needed to be done. But even as we were speaking about Sligo IT, you know, Martin McHugh took over managing the team in 2001 and he would have got me to take take some of the training when I was there. So I always had a massive interest in it. I hated training under coach or management where I hated the training or didn't see the value of it. So I always kind of tried to, you know, put a bit of thought into what would I like to do and what would challenge me, you know, what would be good for the people, you know, player. Not, not just fun, but challenging as well. You know, the amount of times I've done drills and just got, how would I say, peed off with it, you know, that I just see totally pointless and not, not fruitful, you know. How did you, you find this training, Paddy? Yeah. Well, it was, it was brilliant. Because it was just, it was all football related. It was really, um, to bear in mind, like for, I was coming through, through the age of like 14, 15, 16 years of age, where you start moving from, you know, children's football to starting to try and push on and, and make it into adult football like and some players make that transition a little bit earlier I was looking to do that I, I played minor with Dublin and stuff when I was 15 so I was absolutely I, I wanted to be pushed on like and Rory came in and did that with, with our team that it was just it was flat out all football related 
And it was taking the step from underage football to, okay, if you want to be a serious player now, this is this is your first taste of this type of training. Like, And it was, it was, it was totally enjoyable. You'd still be knackered coming off the pitch, but it wasn't, as Rory said, absolute garbage. We're just running up and down, laps up and down the pitch, which was back in the day, bear in mind, this was 03, 04, 05. That, that was still quite prevalent in a lot of places back then. I remember being on the Dublin minor team in 2004, and we used to train at the back of St. Bridget's. Our club used to there's a place called the Racecourse. It's actually been all, all developed now. There's houses and stuff there. But this was just like a, a basically derelict racecourse. And we used to spend two months there training. I was 15 years of age, running up and down the racecourse. Like, like you imagine being a, a kid's team, essentially, doing that type of training. So Rory was definitely to the, to the forefront of, of bringing in that football-related stuff, skill-based, high-intensity and it was just for me as a kid, it was it was a massive, massive influence on me. And I've said Rory would know this, and, and, and I would have said this publicly loads of times about Rory. He did have a massive bearing on not just me, but, but a lot of players in, in that club over that period of time. Um, and it was, as much as the senior team were going really, really well, it was a special time for, for like I say, just everyone down around Casnock Village and down around the club there because... But for a period, we were the best team in Dublin. Like I'm, I'm, I'm one of the best clubs in Dublin, you know. But uh, Andy, first thing Rory Gatter said when he came on, a uh, second thing he said when he came on here was that he set the legacy for you boys in IT Sligo. Rory, Andy's stories about college are legendary on this podcast. Every <laughs> week he tells them about somebody he was in college with. Yeah, they're not about yeah. me. They're not <laughs> <a> segment. <laughs> no, yeah. but uh, like we, we, we went in after um, after Rory, so I went in not three, not four. You were just gone. I think we we you'd won the cigarettes in two years before that. And then there was a year in between and um, no, but you could see it. It was uh, the players that were there, what they thought about the, what they thought about the cigarettes and the, even the effect of Martin McHugh still left Rory afterwards. Uh, Joe, the yeah. boy on about him whispering into the huddles and pretending there was someone listening to him. Oh, Joe, just creating an atmosphere and stuff like that. But it, like, like I'm, I, what I'm very interested in is like, you definitely had an influence with McHugh coming into IT Sligo, I'd say. You had an influence with McIntyre taking over Bridges. Like, did you did you just go early on? Listen, I'm here to win. What do I need to do to win? Who do we need to get in? How did you like set the base in Bridges so quickly to turn around and go right? We need McIntyre in here to win this championship. Uh, yeah, well, well look, because it was it's like white even back. You know, it was a uh, thrown up together kind of operation at the start, and you know, good people trying to get it going. And then I realised we were very close. We lost the Queens, you know, and the Sigurds will be a point the following year. And I was very much disagreed. We were beating UCD with Kim McManus. He had two at one stage and there was a cornerback or two getting roasted and I couldn't believe the manager didn't make switches. So I just wasn't prepared to be there just for the sake of it. You know, obviously I could have played well. So we went and pushed hard to get Martin in that time and it bore fruit, you know, the effort and commitment. But in Bridget's probably, you know, when I arrived, I just felt we good players, very good players, but there probably wasn't the seriousness of it, you know, the, the real commitment to each other to be the best, you know, and, you know, it was as if maybe they almost expected to win a championship without actually grinding it out. And, you know, I, I would have got to know Jerry and, you know, he would have been one of the first uh, TV games I would remember playing the me team, you know, and you knew how serious he was. And then as you got to know him, you know, he was phenomenally serious. But there was himself and, and Sh- Sean Doyle and Shea Wade, uh, Paddy would know them, who, who helped him out and, Paddy, and uh, you know, Paddy Clark, as we said. But I just wanted to make sure that we give ourselves the best chance of winning. And, you know, it's, it's player's career. Obviously, you can't overstep the mark. You know, but and it's not about player priority, like, but you can't can keep playing. All you play to your 35 or 6, it's not easy. You've got to make the most of every day and every opportunity. If you don't think it's going right, you've got to push to try to get somebody that can. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that directly. And then, when, can I just ask you, what age did you finish up playing at? I was just about to ask you that. <laughs> I honestly, I was finished when I was twenty eight or nine, but uh, I finished in. Uh, I just turned thirty three, Andy. It was a bit different, you know. I had uh, I had uh, the opportunity to go to Belfast to to to, to uh, my brother had been playing for since two thousand five, five, and I, and I had a work opportunity to go to Belfast, which I knew it wasn't going to be long term. But they set up an office in Belfast for the company they worked with. And I said, right, I'm going to give this a go. No one was moving you know, to Donegal at the time. And I actually had only lived in Belfast for about four or five months. So I did. I used to commute from Donegal to St. Gauls. But, but I loved every minute of it, you know. So we won the went to St. Gauls in 2009. And we won the 9, 10 and 11 championships. But by 11, I'd started to get involved with Donegal. But my, I was physically was massively on the wane. I hated playing the last couple of years, despite winning all Ireland club. And thankfully, I played fairly well in the final of it and a decent year that year. But I, I was getting frustrated not being as good as I was. I was getting frustrated not having the, it wasn't the, the quickest any, the mobility that I had. It's not as if I had a lot of injuries or anything like that. But I just almost was glad to get finished up in the end. But probably it was substituted with being involved in Donegal. And the whirlwind run we were on, and I actually never missed playing then. As much as I love playing, and I absolutely love my career, and I love 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 playing, uh, it just fitted into coaching and then into management. You've never actually had time to think that you're missing playing. You won an All Ireland club title in St. Gaults. Did when you were joining the club, was that a realistic possibility? Because I know they're one of the strongest clubs in Antrim, but was that a possibility when you were walking in there? Uh, I thought it was, um, but they'd never won one. They'd been the final in 05. But I knew they're really quality players, so I did. And it was it was an it was an unbelievable setup, but very different than Bridges. Bridges had it all; they had all the gear, all the jerseys, all the finance. You know, the four G pitch. So Gauls won on All Ireland, with no showers were broken; they were never fixed. No training pitch, no floodlights, tractors thrown together. But a real like Bridges in a different way, a real family community spirit. Like there was thirty two in the panel, I think, at the time. There was 18 sets, 18 brothers, two sets of three and six sets of two, including my other own brother, Ronan. But what I will say, I won an All-Ireland club with St. Gauls and I very much enjoyed it. I far more enjoyed playing with St. Bridget's and winning that championship because I, I was central to the community at the time. And that's a crazy word in a, in, a, in a city like Dublin, you know, and in a massive area. But you were you're just so embedded in it, you know. And even I only did the coaching role for one year. I had the wake up and get a serious job then and stop messing about with Paddy and boys like that that were a good bit younger than me. So I did. And uh, even though I went into that, I stayed massively involved in in, in, uh, in, in the underage teams and i just become ingrained in going to games every Saturday, Sunday, midweek and we'd always be up at the club. And, you know, it was it was, it was was just, people people give out about Dublin but they don't actually understand how special a club is and, and the community spirit from people from all over. There, you've your... You've, you've, Old school dubs, you have the new dubs, the first generation, you have the country people from Calvin, from Mayo, from Donegal, from me, from Kerry, and the pride they have in that club's phenomenal. Would you I suppose just coming in there, Tommy, like that, I suppose that lead is like we won't get you to talk about the McGorties or any of them lunatics up there. <laughs> we uh, like if you go into the Donegal side and like I, I, I don't really care about your relationship with Jim now, I suppose, but just at the time of playing against you. Don't, don't, don't worry, you and Mike Sloan might go the same way. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but they, yeah, they, 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 but just on the sideline, then obviously we were coming at the same time, and yeah. I suppose it's written about that Mayo team and that Donegal team that we came from nowhere. We obviously didn't. There was good players on both sides, but G on the sideline looked, even as an opposition player, you were formidable yourself and McGinnis kind of together. Like, 
at that time. Did it feel that way to you guys, like in terms of like what you both could give on the sideline? You're we're always going to be a manager in your own right. At some stage, Jim was at that at the on the crest of a wave at that stage. Did, did you feel that way at the time? Uh definitely, Andy. It got to the stage where you, you actually felt you were unbeatable. So you were. Um, now early on, it was it was nervous, like you know. So it was you're sort of feeling each other out. You're feeling the players out, but. Pretty early on into 2011, you know, the way we were starting to get it together, we were we were desperate in our first league game. But during that league, we could feel serious momentum building. And we felt we had a, a very simple and effective game plan. People talk about a system and the amount of rubbish I've heard about it. It was crazy. It was Mark McHugh dropping off somebody. The, re- the five, forwards drop, five forwards dropping deep and defending. So there was not man marking. We'd man mark certain players. But it did get to the stage where we felt we were unbeatable, you know, in a lot of ways. And I, I, I fast forward to the Ulster final in 2013, and I, I always hate myself for it. Even though we, no matter what we'd have brought, we'd have bought them on, and we were balking about with our heads up our backside, thinking we were unbeatable, you know, thinking a third Ulster title in a row, and Monaghan tanked us with intensity. But that period, 2011 and 12, and, and definitely in 12, we got massive momentum, you know. Um, we, we, when we beat Tyrone in the Ulster semi final, we would have felt we were as good as anything in Ireland, you know. And we, even going into 2013, I, I do believe if we looked after and prepared properly, there was a great connection between ourselves. We felt we'd every eventuality covered. But we also felt as well, well, I certainly felt it was a tactic that very soon teams would cop onto. And Tyrone were the one team that did, you know. You know, they, they, they stopped kicking it down Martin Hughes' throat. The likes of yourselves, I know you were praying in that 2012 final because you were madding the ball into Killian and Michael Conroy and... and uh, was it Evan inside or who, who else was inside? In the Verdi. In the Verdi, the three of them, you know. You know, Kerry were mad to get the ball into Donahue and Gooch at the time. It played into our hands. But we felt, we, we did feel, you know, a, an unbelievable kind of chemistry between us all at the time. Well, the feeling of, uh, of being unbeatable, is that coming from beating Tyrone? Because Tyrone had been standard bearers up in Ulster, I know it was probably the end of the journey for that Tyrone team or in and around there, but did it come from that or did it come from your own collective training sessions together? Uh, uh, beating the Tyrone was nice and the cake to give us the momentum, Tommy. It was the collective commitment, the quality of the training sessions, the relentless drive, you know, the relentless hunger, you know, whether it was a, a January or February night in Castle Finn, which where we, there was no fancy centre of excellence for us that time. So there was, if you've seen that place, you know, we were very fortunate to get a great sandwich beach. It was bleak. Or whether it was Letter Kenny on a Saturday morning, I don't believe there's the spirit and the hunger that we trained with that anybody could compete with at the time. It was probably only going to be short-lived, given how far we pushed the players and the pushed players' body. But that was where we felt we had it. We knew we had the work done. We also knew, you know, I, I knew myself in the preparation we'd done on the opposition the way we had our players, you know, geared up for each opposition. I don't doubt Jim knew that as well, but I knew, I knew in my heart that nobody else had worked harder than us. You know, it was still at a time where maybe not every county, including top counties, knew what it took. Still at a time where there mightn't be that many. You know, I, I, am not so sure. Kerry people could maybe did they train that hard January, February, March? Not so sure. Maybe Tyrone were at a stage where they're trying to peak. So they were. I think Mayo probably were showing that hunger. Dublin were, were, were showing that hunger probably um, still had a few issues in, in calming down the Eagles. So they did. They become a lot, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, Paddy, do you disagree? 
you know <laughs> hold my hands up there hold them <laughs> you know so, so we, felt, in, yeah. we, we felt we were such a level-headed bunch of players you know and we had a really really grounded group of players and obviously Murphy's the, the, the figure out of that but Carl Lacey Neil McGee uh, Big Neil the way we went about that Ray and Bradley and the likes of Lacey Lacey should have got fucked with her barrier an old teammate of ours hatchet at him in, a, in the All-Ireland semi-final and I don't blame him for doing it but if Lacey hadn't got injured that day, we could have got over the line. But even at that, I thought he should have got a football of the year two years in a row, which would have been a phenomenal, phenomenal achievement, you know? He was he was he, he, he was sensa- sensational. Brilliant player, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot, he was a sensational player. I, and I don't mind Carl hearing this, you know. I used to think the white boots, Jesus, you know, fancy solos, what's he about? But for them couple of years, and you know, I'm sure you played, you were at Sligo with him in Jordanstown. The way he trained, he'd say very little. I mean, he just led by examples. Those crazy times where Kevin Casty had wanted black books to nail boys and Lacey look and go, what is he for real? You know, that wasn't Card's game, you know. The way he trained, the way he applied himself, the way he led, and it was phenomenal. And uh, I'd actually even, there's a lot made of, of the Mayo game in 2012. Mayo, in my opinion, made a big mistake letting Alan Dillon play a wing half forward on him. And the Kikar had roasted him in a league game in Ballyshannon. The two of them were going into a footballer of the year. So the two players, if I was Mayo that day, I was dreading them bringing Alan Dillon into the quarter forward, which I would have done to keep Carl. There's an awful lot made of Murphy's goal. People should see the way Carl got up the field, the quality of the ball into Michael from inside the 45. It was just unbelievable, you know. But I, I, I just remember we, we snuck into the Kildare game in 11 to watch it. Yeah. We were playing Cork. Mad stuff you'd never do it now, but we went into the Kildare Donegal game just to get used to Crow Park surroundings the night before. The night Cassidy kicked the, the wonder point. But it was 4-4 at halftime. And yeah. Classic. The only time I seen someone put a man-to-man marker on Lacey. Yeah. It was Brian Flanagan. It, it killed you for about 45 minutes until Flanagan ran out of steam. Do you know? Yeah. And it was uh, it was a brilliant move by McGinney at the time. And yeah. nobody did it then after. You must have been thinking, someone has got to put a man marker on Lacey. And it I, never happened, you know? It, it never got to. And it was, you're right. I, we were struggling for scores. We could barely score. They pushed Brian Flanagan, who was the natural wing back up on him. And we were going, Jesus, we need to get him in the game. But in a crazy way, there's a, I, I would actually show as a motivational, you can show it to the Leitrim boys now and just get going, Andy. Uh, the picture of Carl Lacey after that game, I know we went extra to extra time. It's the closest to physical exhaustion I've ever seen on a football field. And the amount of times he got double-ups, turnovers, blocks. And, and to me, I don't, I don't know who got man of the match. He still ended up probably the man of the match, despite, as Andy says, first 35, 40 minutes was crazy. And if Kildare regret it, they should have pushed somebody up on him when Flanagan tired again, you know? Yeah, mm. I was a champion player. He was just uh, even like I lived with him in Jordanstown. Like he, like the way, yeah. Yeah, as you said, the way he looked after himself. Now he enjoyed he enjoyed a night yeah. out too. The same later, but, yeah. but the, the the way the way he the, the way he carried himself around the place, even around Jordanstown standards. He said it was just it was amazing at the time. It's, it's amazing and never said anything and was quiet, but unbelievably single minded and relentless in, in his drive for Donegal and his love for Donegal and. He stayed on with me to, you know, day finish managing you managing and more no more than yourself, Andy. But it's it's hard as a defender to stay on playing for your county when you're past your best. And to try to man mark and lead yourself. And he was probably past his best physically because of his hip injuries. You know, he still would have been, you know, looked after himself. Like it's just and he's not the only one. Frank Midland on the same and Neil McGee still now. Like it shows how much Donegal meant. And I know from speaking to some of the players, he's a massive mister management team now, you know. 
Maury, you were quite young, obviously, 32, 33, you mentioned, but like you always had been thinking about coaching and getting football. And I suppose in the teams you've been involved in, I'm sure you were, as, as we said earlier on, coaching. But at that stage of your coaching development, what sort of an input are you having? Like, are you, are you involved in, like just listening to you there talking about the Alan Dillon mismatch, we'll say. Are you involved in picking out the, the matchups at the weekend? Are you, what, what, are you involved in the on-the-field coaching or was it all encompassing? Was it everything? Uh, it was everything, Tommy, and as probably Paddy would have said, and Andy, I, I wouldn't know how to take a backward step. And I certainly wasn't going to go. We said with Jim, just in fairness, had an unbelievable connection. We bounced off each other. We would have spoke three, four, five, six times a day. You know, we'd have planned out training. Then we'd have said, right, something's going well. Just you push on with that. And we just had a chemistry and we'd have talked things out to every eventuality, you know. So it is. And it's, uh, you know, Andy said you wanted to be a manager. I never dreamt of being a manager. I just dreamt of winning things you know, and be part of it. And we are from Fermanagh. Nobody from Fermanagh at that point had won an Ulster title. You know, um, I was lucky enough, you know, you know, to, you know, through the Bridges career, you know, even when I was playing, being involved with underage coaching and stuff like that and started to manage under 21 teams that I'll have to go back to with a story with Paddy playing as well. So it is, he was, he was crying one morning after we got beat. And uh, I, uh, I just always felt that was I that, had something wrong. Was that, part of the, was that because of the match or was it because of... It was the morning after. Uh, I was crying. Yeah, a bit of both. There was a bit of both, you know. <laughs> I was crying this morning, Rory. Jeez. Pardon? I was crying yeah. this morning as well. You crying this morning. I don't doubt on that flight home from Bay, you were crying for sure. But I just always felt, always felt that I, I, you know, I, I wanted to, you know, make it, make a, as I would have say, make a difference, you know, yeah. to the players that are is. And I, I just had confidence in it, um, Tommy, and it's just what, something that developed. What bit do you love? About coaching, because you know the way I, I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm dumbing it down a wee bit now. But is it the on-field coaching, or is it the the thinking about the game and setting up your tactics? And which bit do you love that, now? Say ten years on, even improving players is the single biggest thing you enjoy. Tactics are important, but unless you improve players and improve their ability to be a brilliant teammate, and a brilliant teammate can be different things. It's not just getting in stuck in a fight. Far from it. Do you do you make the right decisions at any given time? Do you understand why you've got to do something? Are you able in a split second to decide what tactic to implement, whether we squeeze up man-to-man, whether we shut it, where, how we shut kickouts? You know, to be fair to Paddy, when I come up against with Dublin, you see him putting up his hand up, three, four. He, he had a football intelligence. I would show videos of, of Dublin playing in 2017 and that gave you his throne where Paddy's leading out the defensive side of it, yet he kicked a couple of wonder points. It's trying to improve individuals so that they're able to make decisions, you know, in each given situation because... Tactics and, and tactics boards and one thing or another, they're, they're completely overrated in, in some basis video analysis. Each play, you've, got to, you've got to try to empower each player to make their own decisions. And that's what I enjoy most, seeing that improvement in players. Because if you improve each player to be a good teammate, you're going to have a serious team. Uh, so we, we've spoken, and I know Andy's going into it late from now, but we've, we've all sat in scenarios where we're watching video analysis and this is just a box ticking exercise or we're yeah. doing a training session and it's tactics, tactics, tactics and it's off the wall stuff. It's completely irrelevant. The, the yeah. absolute bottom line for any coach is make your players better. Know your players and make them better. And if you could do that, as Rory's saying, you've got a hell of a chance in any, whether it's county, whether it's club, whether it's senior, whether it's minor, whatever it is, connect with your players and, and understand what makes them tick and try and make them better and People get a, caught up in all the other stuff, all the fluffy stuff around the sides, but it's a very simple game if you're a really effective coach. And it, and it is that kind of touching on just influencing your players to, to, to play to their potential. We always say it, Andy, but 
Rory, I have a question in relation to we were obviously playing in that, that, that really famous game for Donegal in 2014. It was, a, it was a massive influence on us as a Dublin team and what we went on to achieve over five or six years after that. You just win that game, you're kind of a master plan and looked completely outsmarted us and outperformed us that day in a game where we were red hot favourites going into, you know, and maybe that it definitely did play on our minds that, that we just had to show up and we'd win this game. So we're caught out there. Jim then steps away after that. He's had, the, obviously, the All-Ireland win, Ulster titles, massive, massive influence in the county, like an iconic figure, not just in Donegal, in Gaelic Games coaching. And you come in and take over from him then, having had that massive relationship with him, like I say, the connection you guys have had. Was that hard for you to do that? Or did you... How did that go? How did that process go for you taking over the conversation? Well, Jim or well, your style well, of play or... me, me, me and him had kind of parted ways in 2013 you know obviously before that 2014 year and Jim kind of put his shoulder to the wheel and we, we'd, had, we'd had a difference of opinion in players and you know uh, player, indeed some players that end up winning All-Stars this year he did that year he didn't rate which I did you know um, <laughs> uh, I'll not get into it because it's been it's it's, it's not, a, not fair in the players there's other players you want to start but when I when I came out I actually, you know, at the end of 2014, and the players kind of committed knowing that they'd like me to get in. Hand and heart, I knew the players were physically past their best. You know, Neil Galler, Rory Kavanagh, Colin McFadden, Ryan Bradley had gone away. Andy Thompson was going to England. You had Carl heading for the latter stage of his career. Eamon McGee was on his last legs. It was difficult, but there's, there's no way in the world I didn't want to go back in to be part of it with them. So it mm-hmm. is... But I, honestly, did I believe there was going to be an all-earn in that team? No. You know, I felt it felt that, you know, the way we played in 11, 12, parts of 13, even 14, the, the year Donegal beat Dublin with that super result, they'd be flat enough up to that. And they were yeah. brilliant that day. And I think Dublin were very even with the day, as we all know now, you know, and they, they, they learned massively. But even the final, they were flat. And it was difficult to, you know, and, and none of that period was the best and got out of Michael either, Michael Murphy. So yeah. it wasn't, you know. And but I just felt I had to go in out of, out of loyalty to the players. Plus, I absolutely loved it, Paddy. And you know, you love being involved. You know, no matter what, even though we, I didn't feel we had the same qualities we had. You know, you had a minor team in fourteen that are now Owen Van and all those guys are part of. You just felt that you had to try to continue to try to be the best. You were hoping all the time to win Ulster, to get a handier quarter final, to get one game, to get to an Ireland final. And we lost Ulster finals in fifteen by a point against Monaghan, Patrick had a shot went over the post, could have been thing. And, you know, we lost that, but at the same time, we beat Tyrone in the preliminary round, beat Armagh, we'd run them to a point the year before and beat Derry to get the final. You know, it was a massive run. In 16 then, we lost the last minute. It was at the height of defensive football, but one of the reasons I stuck to defensive football, and I would probably say we went even more defensive in 15 and 16, is because our legs were gone. You know, yeah. no matter what, our legs were gone. And the Owen Van Gallers and the Steve McManam and the King, they weren't ready to play at that stage. Yeah. We didn't have the man markers to play. We played it very much a zonal system. We didn't have Paul Durkin playing as well. We lost Neil Gallagher. We weren't getting the same bodies in the field. But I got an awful lot of criticism about it, you know. But I, we couldn't beat them big teams without playing that style of football. We didn't have the legs. We didn't have the mobility. Well, we, we played this in the quarters and we felt that. Like we knew, we played yeah. it in the quarters because we knew... This is what Donegal are going to Yeah, you take the Kenny wing back. 
Yeah, yeah. So and we're just like, right, we're going to have a lot of the ball here. This is the way to break it down. And that's the way it transpired. And we were a lot more focused, obviously, in 16 than we were in 14. But we would have felt... Good in the injury table in that game. It was 15 points to one name. Yeah. And then, man, you know what I mean? And we were close. But I know... We got there and we sent off in fairness. So we did. He was he the only one that did that, Rory. Don't worry. <laughs> he, got, he got booked silly in the first half. We targeted him and started the second half. And it did bring the favour back into us. But that was our only way of surviving. But it was like a last hurrah for those players. And if we went toe-to-toe use that day, you still should have trounced us anyway. So you did. But you were just happy at that stage to win the game and keep the ball, you know? 100%. You're, you, you, you mentioned McFadden there. He was, like, if we go back to the game plan of 2012, like you just needed McFadden humming, didn't he? All the time he was the he was the finisher because that allowed you Murphy to go out the field a tiny bit help out with that with that player. Yeah. The player Colin McFadden was Andy. Like I never would have thought it looking in from the outside. So it is. He obviously had serious talent and some big displays. And I think they got put Jim's mind at easy. We bet you know there was an incident, a famous incident in 2010 when he was taken off and he was uh, videoed up in our mask smiling as if he didn't care. And Jim was under a bit of pressure for him, but. I, I loved him. He, the minute I got working with him, he, he'd come back. I think from honeymoon, he wasn't too fit. He was carrying a bit of weight, so he was. But he was unbelievable, and he was he was my type of player. Which I imagine you are Andy as well, and, and, and Paddy out the training first, away last. Love playing football, but the one thing about him, he was absolutely ruthless. No cornerbacks give him abuse because they were you know he stood his ground. He took no crap. He learned from Murphy in the work rate. You know, Mur- you know, and which wouldn't have been as for it. And he laid out our first line. As I said, we defended with, with, with five forwards against six or seven all the time. The ground he covered. So it is, it gave him, it gave him energy and motivation, but his, his accuracy was absolutely unearned. Like he didn't have the best Ulster Championship, you know, by, by the way I'd expect him to play. He scored heavily maybe against uh, Down in the final. But the scores he got against Kerry, Cork, and Mayo was free taking, his long and shooting. His ability to score goals and take games was, was absolutely sensational. Even the goal against yourselves, low and hard. You know, um, uh, low and hard. It's not accidental that that goes in, so it's not. It was just brilliant. He scored a brilliant goal against Tyrone, I think, at 15 or 13, maybe in the championship as well. He never missed He never missed a free in my time that actually counted, you know. Can I ask you about another Donegal lad that you would have came across from a very young age? Um, you mentioned Martin McHugh from back in Sligo IT. And I, I know that Martin probably put a word in with Jim in and around the time that he was looking for a selector back then as well. You mentioned Mark and how important he was in 2012. You would have coached Ryan at club level. You would have seen him at underage and he would have been becoming a key player when you were a manager then as well. Did you know that Ryan McHugh was going to be the player he was at that when he was a kid? I, I knew in 2001 and two when he used to be squirting about Sligo Sigerson training, you know? <laughs> and, uh, uh, at the time, I used to be asking Martin about him, you know? And he says, uh, you want to see him chasing sheep? He never gives up, you know? <laughs> so it is, they didn't need a sheepdog, you know? But... Uh, when, when I moved to, uh, to, 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 to Donegal or to Kenny Begg's direction, Tommy, in 2009, Ryan, oh, what is, you know, he's 27 now, so what is he there? 15, 15, 16, yeah. He used to be tortured to go to the gym. I was never much into weights or anything like that, so I wasn't. He used to be tortured <laughs> to go to the gym in the mornings, but a bit like I would have spent a lot of time with Paddy in particular and his age group. You know, I would, you know when we were in Bridges, even when we, there'd be no training, I'd organise Paddy and different lads would go down in the evenings or you know, maybe Sundays and just do different wee skills or different sort of things. He started doing it at Ryan as well and had a few different, you know, of his players now that have went on. Matthew McLean, who's won a club champion as well, be another fellow, Patrick at times, Owen McHugh. But Ryan was the one with the phenomenal attitude. So he was, you know, Mark, uh, it was a phenomenal competitor. Didn't have the same relentless attitude to train that Ryan has. 
But uh, Ryan's ability, you know, to, to get the most out of himself. But at the same time, there's something you can't teach players. When people ask me Ryan's greatest gift, and I'd like to see, obviously not at Derry's expense anymore, his ability to time when to make a support run and sense the opportunity to create a goal-scoring opportunity. There's no, like it's magic that he has. It's a bit like Andy's ability inside, even when he's later on to show. you very hard to coach a player that, you know, when, when you do a lot, you know, you can do an awful lot of work, but Ryan could sense a counter-attack. He could sense when a kick-out was going to be run. He could sense when Lacey was going to sidestep a fella and take a run and this create a goal. And he, he just became a brilliant player. He's a player of myself and, and Jim would have disagreed with. I would have wanted him straight into the team in 2013. He ended up coming on in Ulster final. He ended up in 14 being brilliant. And uh, I do laugh, you know, um, he played in an Ulster final. He went man-to-man in darn huge midfield. Obviously, there wasn't many long kick-outs. But he, he showed me one day there when, when I said he's beefed up there last year during COVID is a text or something to me or a picture. He's only 67 or 68 kg playing midfield in Ulster final, you know. Wow. I hadn't really, I hadn't caught that at the time. And Darren Hughes yeah. is no easy man to go up against no matter what size you're. No, no, he's not. And Darren was at his peak and it was a great, I believe Ryan got the better of him but at the time. But no, he's, listen, he's a, he's a really brilliant attitude and he's one of the leaders in the team now. And, you know, yeah. he'll, he'll be looking to push on. But I, and again, bringing back to Paddy, I remember coming across against Dublin, you know, in games and, uh, They'd be, they'd be, yeah, we, we, we'd be, we, we, we'd be having a kick out in Dublin, we'd press and Dublin, and Paddy be shooting zonal, but Mark five, and he'd put his hand up for five, five would be Ryan. That's Paddy's yeah. leadership, be able to lead that out, you know. Oh, yeah. every time we played, Tony got yeah, apart from, apart from 2014, apart from 14, <laughs> 14 was the massive lesson that maybe we should actually try and mark Ryan McHugh here. Yeah. But every single time we played him after that, it was, yeah. and he'd do this little thing, he'd stand in the middle of the pitch. He's not interested. He'd have his head down and he just now they're booming a kick out long and he's just going to sprint. And we had someone detailed to stop him. He was just, he was going to go and you needed to be ready. And it was. It, there was so much we took from that game in 14. Like I say, I, I thought it was a massive game for us to lose it and to lose it in that way to what Dublin ultimately went on and achieved. And I, I think a few people have said this. I don't think we probably would have achieved what we did if we'd have scraped through that game or we'd got away with it somehow. So it was, Roy McHugh was a massive part of that, that, that we just had to stop him. He was their, he was their key trade, obviously along with Murphy and McBrearty and these guys as well, but it's gas. We, every, he was the one guy everyone was hanging out of, no matter what. No matter yeah. if you were trying oh, it's, to still, it's still travel. the case. It's still the case every game. Rory, can I just say, like hmm. this is the 24th episode of the football pod we've done this summer. And, I hadn't felt like I'd met two people as obsessed with football as Paddy Andrews and Andy Moran until I met you. Like, you absolutely love football. Can I bring you back way before that? You mentioned your cousin, Ramey. You mentioned your brother, Ronan. I think you, you mentioned your dad and your uncles are involved in football. Were you, were you just born with a football in your hand? Like, wh- where did this start for you? Well, it was either farming or football, and I had no interest in farming. When I go to Dublin, people go, are you serious? You're a farm? Not many people, because me and Raymond weren't very good farmers, or <laughs> certainly not Ronan. But uh, no, nah, it was just football, you know, um, Tommy. And uh, no, we didn't have a, a, have a much of a tradition, you know, in Fermanagh, but we were very yeah. fortunate to go, to go to St. Michael's, where we had Peter McGinnity, the boys wouldn't remember, who was Fermanagh's first ever All-Star hey, in 1982. We, we did a piece last year on... Uh, we went around the country to start a COVID. We, we call it the Mount Rushmore. We went to every county. And Peter McGinnity yeah. was the first man 
alongside I think Barney Curley would have made it as well in Fermanagh Barney Curley yeah you yeah. know but McGinnity I, I learned about McGinnity then an absolute legend in Fermanagh yeah and he like he, the, he a lot of the skill sessions I'd have done with Paddy and so many people was the skill sessions he'd done with us he was an unbelievably skillful footballer and, and Dom Carrigan who was seen in the limelight yesterday was the one I won a Leitrim title Andy and him he was blowing up Leitrim football that we're going to win three or four Connacks in a row so <laughs> no I don't mind him saying he's just no, no. to talk it up you know? <laughs> so yes, but they, they brought a phenomenal uh, passion to us. Like we went, we were in Samaicas and Enniskillen, and it's a bit different. Probably the same as Andy went to school in Mayo. To Paddy would be different, even though we, it was at Declan's. He went there. We were just GA, 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 and it gave us a chance to compete with Mahara and to it with Marafelt, with Oma and Dungannon, and we we just felt we were good enough. Like you know, I didn't think for one minute. I played a bit of soccer, even though it wasn't really any in our area. And, I had an opportunity to go over to, to England to play at the time, albeit Sky TV wasn't what it is now. But I used to think, why would I be doing that when I can win Ulster Championships and all Ireland with Fermanagh? Who, who were the clubs? Black. I was it, was, it was United and... It was at Blackburn when they were Premier League champions and Celtic, but they all, they all seen what a lot of defenders started to see. It was just too slow. Back five, Rory. Yeah, yeah. So what, it is, but, what, uh, what age are you then, Rory? Are you... 14, 15, 16, but like, like, like Paddy was playing, I was playing for Man of Miners very young and I was in the senior team then, you know, when under 21 was 16 and the senior team when you're 17 and you just, you just, there was nothing else but again, it's it's incomparable exposure to soccer now, you know, I'm not that old but, you know, 22, 3 years ago, 25 years ago, Sky TV was only coming in it was not the same animal it is now, you know. And would you think soccer is an influence on the way you coach? And who, sorry? Would soccer have an influence on any of the way you coach now? Oh, definitely on the way I defend. Yeah. Soccer, soccer was unbelievable, Andy. See the level of coaching I got with Northern Ireland schoolboys in particular, who were limited, you know. So, so how would you explain it at the time? I remember the manager at the time telling my dad went on a trip. There's thirty thousand pounds invested in Northern Ireland schoolboys at the time. There's one point five million invested in, in Germany at the same age. So we had to get the most out of ourselves. But it was all about defending areas. No yeah. one went to, when no one went to defend. No one went to mark tight to play defending as a collective. And that was a massive influence on me. And, you know, when I was watching, when I was in Dublin, and we, we, we would have bring, bring in clients to Crow Park. You'd have been watching the games evolve. And I remember the game, you, you came on and the Dublin messed up in 06, was it? When you saw seven points down, you, you score a goal or two goals out there or something. Oh, goal, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and not being able to see out the lead, I would have seen Dublin and Kerry in 2007. I'd seen Dublin uh, in, in the 08 when people would have, I actually remember my first ever bet. Uh, I bet that Tyrone would beat Dublin in a way that they're blowing up. You'd see the faults in teams, you'd be watching it and how to defend against top forwards, you know. But look, teams have caught on to it now, you know. So that is, you know, you, you just can't defend deep. You've got to be able to mark and you've got to be able to pressure the ball. But for a while, it was probably too easy for Gaelic football just to defend areas, you know. You said you were young when you first started playing for, for Man of Miners. You were 14 years old playing cornerback. The two boys beside you had their stint in the backs as well. You, you weren't long back in there, were you? No, and it wasn't very good either, Tommy, believe me. So it wasn't, but no, it's, uh, it's, uh, I was, wasn't capable of being a defender in, in Gaelic football. I was a defender in soccer, which my, my son and daughters find hard to believe, you know, when, you, when you're talking, you know, when they're that young now, you're either a forward or a back, you know, in both sports. But no, yeah, listen, defending is a, is a very specialist. Even back then it was, but even more so now, you know, particularly in the full back lane, you know, you've got to be a very specialist type of player to play there. But Rory, isn't that like I would have felt the evolution of, of what Dublin did, and you see it now, even in club teams doing that? It's just being open minded to, to other sports and soccer and basketball. We would have had an influence with Dublin as well. Exactly what you're saying there. 
when to defend, how you move across the pitch as your forward line, as your midfielders, yeah. just condensing the space. Like Crow Park is a massive, massive Not pitch. Cool. If yeah. you're leaving guys one-on-one, no matter who they are, even if they are the yeah. top cream of the crop, you know, I'm looking, thinking around McNamee there on David Clifford in the centre. Yeah. McNamee probably won an all-star and, and Clifford takes it to the absolute cleaners. You cannot leave guys one-on-one anymore. And it's that, can you get your system? Can you get your team to shift across and just cut down that space? That, that's a soccer philosophy. You know, it's zone American, getting to the wall, all that stuff like yeah, well, like I would have said a lot, good, player, good players need time and space no matter what. Bad players need even more time and space, do you know what I mean? Or average players. And there still is some average inter-county players who are just athletes, you know, playing for at a high level. But it's, mm-hmm. it's already say it's shifting across. You've got to have the, that's what I say with individuals. They, you've got to trust that individual. Like uh, Jim Gavin wasn't long coming in, um, nailing his colours to the mask with you, Paddy, playing you, playing Dean Rock. Do you know what I mean? So it is. And it wasn't just for your attacking prowess. It was for your ability to, to create space for Berto and others, but also for your defensive instincts. So it is. And it was your ability to seize the moment because that ground that you can cover, that that ability to get your cornerback turned or get a defender turned, buys you the time to get cover on the star forwards up the pitch. And, you know, it, it, it has to be just a relentless kind of understanding among quality players that they're able to do that, you know. And I don't mind saying this, the big coaching things I would have done with, for Mana and, uh, and and even Derry in 2019 was the, the video of the All-Ireland semi-final thrown in Dublin 2017. Like people forget, despite Dublin hammering them that day, a lot of people in that, I was at them game, expected thrown to win the game that hammered everybody in Ulster with yeah. this unbelievable defensive um, template with brilliant counter-attacking players. So they did. But Dublin that day were more defensive than thrown. You know, and the ice show classic. We were nervous uh, ourselves, because like, we were so nervous. I was talking to Deck Darcy, good bit coming up to it. You were very nervous, you know. <laughs> and yeah, 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 yeah. I was showing the video of uh, a fifty from uh, Dean Rock dropping short, and Paddy just sprinted out, pointing out, you know, to just get all goal side to not be exposed to any level of counter attacks. But it's like that. It was Dean Rock as well. You know, the whole team. Paul Mannion then gets all the praise for the turnovers. But it was just the understanding from the home team. That's how, whether it's Johnny Cooper, Keanu Sullivan, get to play the sweeper role as well. You know, people look at the forwards and they look at you kicked a couple of points from out in the wing. Conor Callan scored a brilliant goal that day. But you suffocated Throne when they had the ball. You never exposed yourself to them counter-attacks. They're still going to get scores, but you, you made to control the game. And, you know, it's, it's defending's a dirty word. And I, I take great joy in defending. You know, it's 50% of the game. When you're playing for Fermanagh and you're looking up and it's 217 to four points and me and Raymond... Or discussing going to coppers from Port Leash about twenty minutes into the game, <laughs> you'll be damn glad of how to defend as a team. But but it, 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 even for us, we we've spoke about that game. We were nervous going into that game because we hadn't played. Toronto been in Division Two. Yeah. Uh, they like I said, they'd steamrolled the Ulster Championship. They'd been kind of. We hadn't played them since probably I think maybe fourteen or fifteen up in Oma. Yeah. We were. We were nervous because everyone was talking about Toronto, and, yeah. and I remember we prepared for that game as. We actually we didn't play that well in the final now in the first half particularly and Mayo did a, did a job on us and we managed to pull it out of the bag but that particularly the first 35 minutes I thought that first half I remember we I feel we bullied Tyrone I don't think Tyrone were ready yeah. for that they, they didn't expect it and I remember John Swall certainly bullied Peter Hart <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember having a go off uh, Tiernan McCann and Niall yeah. Sloan as well and just looking at them and they were kind of they were flabbergasted like we were, they were, we were just buried every time they were trying to run and we were just pushing them back and they yeah. were looking to the ref they were looking around it was Sean Cavanagh's last game was it his last game? I think you were talking John about Cavanagh. 
game, yeah, yeah. They weren't ready for that. And, no. and there was a lot of chat before that. And that was, there was nervousness on our behalf, but also preparation in it. That, yeah. that this is what it was going to take for us to win that game. And it was a massive, massive performance for that team. Um, well, but it was an, it was also an unbelievable display of attacking football against a brilliant defensive team. Colin Kavner, who who was a brilliant sweeper for three four years, probably the best in the country at that stage. You just took him completely out of the game with the way you just opened up the pitch. You just played with depth. You just didn't have players standing in positions. Brian Fenton, whoever, you had no players playing positions. Brian Fenton sometimes was inside. Paul Vanyan sometimes was that forty. You know, Keanu Sullivan, you going inside, and then the ability. You know, like yourself, Conor Callan, Mannion at times to sense the one on one. So it is. And I just felt that was a Dublin pit team at their peak around you know, 17, 18 at that stage. Yeah. It's a huge thought, though, Rory, doesn't it? Like I was even thinking when you were talking about Lacey before, you rarely played him up the centre because that's where the channel was going to be blocked. You moved, yeah. up, you used to play him right, and then you nearly had two playmakers, one on the right side with Lacey and Martin, Martin McHugh in the centre. So it, it, it's not just we'll put these fellas here. And yeah, he, played, he thought about that. Dublin thought about moving Colin Cavan. It wasn't just let's just oh, yeah. use all our good players. Yeah, no, that that that's it. And you know the angles you can attack, and everybody wants to get get to the, get to the D, but the opposition know that better than anybody else. You know, so they do. So <laughs> the top players can attack space, and then they'll find a way to the goals. And obviously Dublin, when they're at their peak for them years, they might have fisted points they got. The amount of times they opened up the D, but but also a big part of it is. And you'll find this, Andy, with Leitrim, when they don't have the same quality of players. It was the quality of the Dublin players that you couldn't leave nobody free. Yeah. You know, that that they had all players that understood how to make an impact when it was their choice, you know. So it is, and there's a lot of talk about Dublin's percentage shooting, but when they've that much space in those key areas, and the reason they've that much space is because they're, they're, their players are can't be left free. Their players create the space for each other. You know, that's such a selfless game, and you know, the likes of yourselves, Mayo and Kerry, you know, for the last number of years, you should all be very much at that. Probably, you know, Mayo, you know, in my opinion, Andy, lacked the, the quality composure. Uh, you know, the Dublin would have had seven or eight, nine players of the real composure. You just weren't blessed with that, you know? Yeah, I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that, Andy. Yeah, 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 I could not. But okay, so... I text Rory to say that. Yeah, I think it's fair, especially when you're looking at... Was what, what was being brought off the bench? We've often mentioned Costa, what he did with them four points coming yeah. on. You know, Connolly even Brogan, like, Brogan coming off that day off the bench. You know, oh. the, the quality is just uh, insane. So, Rory, just I'm interested in how right when you started compared to now. What like how you, how you've moved your coach and how Joe? What did you believe was absolutely essential when you started? Because I know I'd be very kind of principal now. What has shifted? What was like what you used to think was absolutely key that you think that was absolutely rubbish is there anything that stands out honestly Andy seeing 11 and 12 it was a relentless intensity you know it was to, to make us believe that we would go to a length greater than anybody else at any given time it was a very very simple formula so yeah. it was you know and, and it served us well we won 15 championship matches out of 16 you know like probably only Dublin have done that I'm not sure even yourselves like, you know, if Man City or Liverpool win 15 Premiership games out of 16, the, the Premiership's over. So it is, you know, they've got that much of a lead. But we drive it with relentless intensity. And then it was just communicating to the players, you know, what's required of them on an individual basis. So it was, and that, that was the main coaching philosophy, that we would bring an intensity and a hunger and a drive that was incomparable to anybody else. You know, we, we, we felt probably 
you know, hand and heart, we were delighted to see Mayo win in 2012. You know, we don't, I don't believe, I believe, I, we actually stopped at the halfway house. We won beer. Paddy, you know the halfway house. Yeah, we felt we had all Ireland won because I still think, I, and I don't want Neil McGee to take this the wrong way, I don't think we'd have handled Berno though we did at the time. In you know, 12. Berno, yeah, in 12. He was, even though he missed the goal since he was Mayo, I just felt that, you know, that period, at, there's other brilliant forwards, but he was the most devastating forward in the country yeah. for three or four years. Probably the most devastating forward I've seen, even though I feel there's been better all-round forwards. He could finish you on his own. And I just felt with the way Flynn was going, the way Connolly was going, other players that time, um, Bernard would have caused us massive trouble in that final. Because he would have completely dominated Mark with you. You'd almost had to double mark him, which would have left up space for other people to run through and that sort of thing, you know. But to go back to that, it was a, it was a ferocious intensity early on. It's evolved much more into coaching players. In, I, I'm doing an awful lot of work, Andy, you know, in coaching teams, obviously, how to defend, but how to attack you know, um, how to earn the right to, to to give the ball to man in a better position, when to know, to avoid trouble, to avoid contact. We get caught up in stats. I have no interest in stats whatsoever. So I haven't, um, I would mean? rather... What do you mean pardon? by that? What do you Don't mean by that? that as a coach, Rory. Jesus, that's Andy's uh, all in on stats. I'm not, I'm not a <laughs> just, just, just elaborate. What, what do you mean, like? If somebody tells me you had 15 wides, it means nothing to me. So it doesn't, I would say, when you're four stupid decisions... You know, so you have we the shot was never on, so it wasn't. So there's no point in talking about that. I would spend an awful lot of time. There's good ways and there's bad ways. There's why you know Kieran Kikenny in the last five years has never kicked a bad way. He's missed shots and he's dropped ball short. He's never kicked a bad way because it's the right decision to make. We spend an awful lot of time in Andy and how to teach the players how to be better in each given situation. You know, and it has to start very basic. You know, very so you know, and even for defending, you can't a defender can't win every ball, but he can defend every situation. Yeah. Rory, this year, one of the first big game of the championship was you guys against Donegal and Bally Buffet. We were waiting for it. Everyone was waiting for a, for a decent game to kick off, and that was a spectacular game. We could hear you roaring for the last 10 minutes yeah. <laughs> on, on RTE. So you had no voice for the next three days after that match, no doubt. No, I was a bit like you after we lost that under-21 final and went into the club. I was crying. I was crying myself that evening, you know. Lucan, that one in Bridget's. No, the one we lost to uh, uh, Jude's. Remember on the oh, Sunday morning, oh. the day after you played minor championship. Jesus oh. Christ, Dublin up. Yeah, we won the minor championship the day before with Dublin against Westmead, and we played and Dublin against Offaly. Yeah, played the Sunday in Parnell Park against Jude's, and lot. We were winning three points up, and then we lost. Yeah. And, and it, was, it, was, won, won, won it, it was it was carried over from the year before. It was wasn't, but it was the two thousand and five championship, and it wasn't played in May two thousand and six. So it was. And Paddy and Chris Duggan were Chris Duggan's Jews. They were still minors, and it was played the day after they played for Dublin minors. It was my first experience of Kevin McManaman. He scored the equalising point in normal time and the winning point in extra time. Okay, so he didn't just do it to Mayo or carry. No, he no, thought it to everybody. So he did. Like, got I, I got knocked out of the championship last Friday evening. And these boys are crying about 2006. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <la
we had players in the ball, and I don't mind them hearing it now because when we get back together, we hear it. Um, we had players in the ball. Fair enough, they might mean wearing number 13 or number 15 or 10 on their back, but they should have made incisions to get us into scoring positions. And they already said, take a shot. There was t- t- opportunities on for them to drive at them and get us inside 30 yards or inside 25 yards, and they didn't take it. So basically, we played with our tails between our legs when it counted. And for us to improve, we need more players with that, I won't say scoring threat, but that threat to attack, you know. Yeah. You know, Dublin, to be fair, the way Johnny Cooper's evolved his game, you know, Philly McVeigh used to see Philly McVeigh, Gucci kick a point, he'd go up and kick two the next, you know, in the next couple of minutes. It's not just about defenders kicking points, but you've got to have the, you know, those players able to it. If you go, go to the Tyrone game against Kerry this year, you know, Clifford was fleecing them, but McNamee went up and kicked a point early on, Hampsey went up and kicked a point, and McCain on the three-full back line. Gone are the days, you know, and, you know, I would say Andy find this in Leitrim, you know, it's, you know, in the lower division teams, we have players that, he just does a job, you just don't do a job anymore. 100%. So you went from three years, three years with Donegal, where I suppose you felt like maybe some of the players when you took it over were getting on in their in their time. You, you knew that going into it, there was a, a real loyalty going in. I know that didn't end great. I, that was probably quite upsetting the way it ended for you. But you went back to Fermanagh then. Do you want to dwell on the the upsetting part in Donegal? It probably was tough to take the way it ended. It was, it was soured a wee bit. It, it absolutely was. Um, I wouldn't say sad, but I was annoyed at it. Um, I had sat down at the end of 2016. Christy was gone. Colin McFadden was gone. Eamon McGee was gone. Big Deal was gone. Rory Kavanagh. You know, probably called Andy Thompson, maybe a couple others. You know, at that stage, Carl was gone. And obviously the younger players coming in. And we ended up, and Andy again, I can blame Andy for a lot in life now. <laughs> Andy, Andy and them put on a massive press down in, uh, in Castle Bar in the second half of the last league game. Andy, if you remember, where we had, we, we had outplayed just in the first half, I think we were 11 to 1 5 up and we had the breeze in the second half, you know, and he's brought on big, big Aidan O'Shea and Murphy got obsessed with him as well. But you beat us by a point or two where yeah. we would have made the league final that year, which would have been an unbelievable achievement. So it would have been um, Tommy. You know, and with an unbelievably young team, and there's an awful lot of rubbish put out there, and some some of it put out by the Donegal management, the current Donegal management, that uh, changing the style of play. We had changed our style of play in 2017, so we had, and I think the difference in what we scored in 2017 and what Donegal scored in 2018 in the league was a point or two, and we didn't have Pat Brady in 2017 for five of the games. So it is, we had changed our style of play. Yes, you're still playing a sweeper. You're still defending deep, but we were playing the same way that Donegal have played since, practically. Same way that the Throne are playing now. Well, maybe not the same way as Throne. Same way Dublin were playing at the time. So we did. And we'd, we'd introduced an awful lot of those younger players. We had Murphy playing out of a, you know, out of a skin in the middle of the field. Throne hockeyed us the way Throne hockeyed anybody. And then the Galway game fell away from us. But if you'd asked me at the start of the year, did I expect us to win it? And I would have said no. So I didn't. But we had one, was it four games in Division 1, drawn one and lost two. You know, it was a very good record and kept Donegal competitive. So it is hand in heart of Donegal pushed on since then. There's people in Donegal would say, yeah, there's people that don't like the way I coach the team and can read into, into rubbish. So it is Donegal haven't beat any of the good, good the, the top guns since. You know, they've failed in the big occasions. That You've got a couple of Ulster titles. So it is absolutely. I feel we would if we would have kept going on that journey. So we would. But I was disappointed. It, but it was... There was no, I, I don't I don't mind saying Ekstrom wanted the job and uh, they were pushing that from all angles. I suppose you were under no qualms and you were going in that it was going to be a transitional period. You probably yeah. had that in your head, you know? Did, yeah. And uh, did, yeah. And didn't mind being in, in it at the time for the long haul. He absolutely loved it. And, 
you know, I don't mind. You get tough days. Um, you just don't win every day, as Donegal have seen since. You know, it's very few Dublins out there. So there is a there very few Mayo's even can get to five, six finals in an eight or nine year period. You know, but listen, I wouldn't swap a day with Tommy. I absolutely loved it. Um, I have a great rapport with the players that I was with for a long time, you know, and even the younger players now and very much enjoyed being part of, you know, striving to be better for them all the time. I, I'm happy I let you in there, but my question that I was, I was starting off with was when you when you go from Donegal to Fermanagh and you've got a couple of years of Fermanagh and you had some big results in Fermanagh, but, you know, you were probably... You were you were you were fighting against the curve as you always have done in Fermanagh. You've never won a provincial title, so you were you were at a certain level there. And I know you probably had a big job getting certain players, convincing them to play and getting the best out of them. What was that like going back home and and getting stuck in there? Like, were you enthused? Were you excited for that project when you got in there? Uh, what was driving you? I don't know, Tommy. I definitely wasn't enthused at the start, though I wasn't or excited. But I said to myself, you know, they're not bad from what I'd seen, some of the players. And I just said, you know, I was always frustrated, generally always frustrated playing for Fermanagh. Probably didn't handle myself the right way, would have made mistakes. But I said, look, I want to go in and try to make a difference. You know, I want, to, there's definitely some good players who Peter Canavan had brought in with really good habits that Pete McGrath pushed on for a couple of years. You know, they got them up between Division 2 and 3 from Peter Canavan going in and taking them under 4. And they'd done an awful lot right. I knew the commitment levels would be fairly good. So I did. But I, I just said I'm going to go in and give this an almighty shot for a good friend of mine, we, we McCabe, Shane. Um, he said, we'll do this for one year, you know, and Rice, he came in. And as Rice used to just shrug his shoulders with maybe some of the setups that we had, this is for man, and he just laughed, you know. So it is. But we, we set out We set out with a very clear agenda. Um, we wanted to be confrontational. We wanted to be in your face. We wanted to be unbelievably aggressive and the best defensive team in the country. Because we didn't have the forwards. And the forwards that we had weren't either at the fitness. There's a lot made at the two Quigleys and Sean a lot made me tell this or Shamey. They were, they were the other side of 17 stone when I first met them. So they were. Um, and Shamey'd never played Ulster Championship football. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that he had never played Ulster Championship before you came in. No, and indeed, actually, after one of the games, uh, Shane rang Peter Gavin. Peter Gavin said, I can't even, he managed them as well and didn't go so I can't believe he's got him on the pitch. You know, <laughs> but he was a great character and he trained really, really well. Unbelievably intelligent player. And he kicked six points the day we beat Armagh. You know, he helped us get promoted out of Division 3. Sean was a very good talent. But when you don't have star puck forwards with pace and power and movement and dramatic, you're not going to have star defenders able to mark them. So we played a very defined style of football. And it, it was a crazy period as well because you go, you, you win, uh, you, you, you get promoted out of Division 3 and we beat Armagh, beat Bonin. You know, the year before, the, the and Fermanagh played both teams in the championship and lost by 10 or 11 points against both, conceding 121 and 120 or something like that. And we played them and conceded seven points in 10. You know, our style of play worked. And I actually feel the criticism was crazy. You know, we're not from Kerry. We're not from Dublin or Meath, you know, in their heyday with the population. So it is. Um, and even though we were trounced in the final, you know, the, it's because we didn't prepare properly because our heads were, some of the players, the, the, the occasion got to us. So it is our style of football, you know, the following year brought Donegal to 15-10 or something like that. We were actually 10-8 down in a championship match. We missed a free. So it is, but it was a state of football that worked for those players. Put it this way, you know, I, you know, Rice was very brave to take them on. You know, and as I said, I don't believe Fermanagh will ever get as good a result as we got in Division 2. We were five games unbeaten in Division 2. Um, we actually played Dublin before the league. Paddy, remember, I think he was playing. He might not have been as fit as he should have been either. 
um, the week before the league, you know, started. We, we, we had five games unbeaten in Division 2, and if we had a score of freeze and not to be a bad goal, we'd been promoted already in 2019, which would have been unbelievable. Yeah, no, no, 100%. Can I get to the last part of my question? Because it's a long question. Go on. When you, because we've just been so excited about Derry this year, Rory, we really have. Yeah. When did you start getting excited about Derry? Uh, Was it this year? After COVID hit. <laughs> it's a wild thing to say. Um, Kieran Mina, uh, uh, my uh, right hand band, the two of us worked hand in hand together. Kieran convinced me to get involved in Derry. He had been in the previous year and he assured me that the talent was there. I didn't see it the first few months. I didn't see the right attitude. So it is, but COVID hit and it gave us a long time, a good chance to reflect. We shortened the panel, but I got started to get very excited then. Once we got to spend time together, you know, and when I say spend time together, COVID obviously was a break and we're able to communicate with them and was able to go out and meet them, get a feel for them. It was unbelievably difficult at the start. You stopped Neil Hurlers playing, you cool Rain Hurlers playing. But once I got to know, say, the stock Neil Bears in particular, Christopher, um, Brendan, Shane, Tad, Carl, unfortunately, was injured and seeing what they were about, the quality of them that they worked with, with Niall Lachlan, Oren Lynch and goals. I started to see, you know, you know, a serious bunch of players. So I did with a great attitude, you know, and, you know, from, from here on in, you know, or from then on, on to now and the way forward for us, you know, we just want to win Ulster Champions. So we want to keep competing for all Ireland's. That's not easy done, but, you know, there's a lot of focus and Paddy focused on the last play. I'm absolutely gutted that we weren't going in the last six minutes, five, six points up. You know, I think Donegal, the way through Trone, I know Murphy was sent off, but Trone scored 23 points. He's going to score more goals against Donegal. We missed, uh, we hit the crossbar. We should have the penalty. We missed another goal chance. We put a ball over the bar that I hate. When, and I'll tell the player that when I meet him. But they put us three or four up and we should have went for a goal. Yeah. We, we, we got inside the Donegal. It's very hard in it to get inside the 21 of any team. We get inside it regularly and we didn't make a count. We missed freeze as well that we shouldn't have missed. They're all massive. There's a lot of talk about tactics, but free-taking goes a long way as well. Yeah, me and Tommy watched it in, uh, over in Casabar together. You know, I, when, it, when it hit the crossbar, I couldn't believe it. It was just... Uh, I know. It, it was crazy. How are you getting these guys home from Australia? We want to know. Yeah. Uh, look, it... Listen, I had, I, I had the gaff there with him. They're just there off camera. There. <laughs> yeah. Glass is doing jumping jacks beside him. Yeah. It, it, was funny. He, he, it was funny watching him at a club championship match last night. He was wearing like an Edgar Davids screen on his face for a broken nose, but he was very good. But it's funny about Connor Glass. Um, I his big day at Unreal's football, in particular, his biggest day probably was he, he was man of match against a favorite Donegal team, which I didn't really get to see the game. So we were playing in the senior game after, but. I'd heard a lot about him, but I was lucky enough. I had a sister went out to Melbourne in 2013 and she would have met him several times out there and met his family. So it have felt a half new wee bit about him. But look, it was just brilliant. Connor's heart, you know, is in Derry and his club, Glenn Mahara, who I expect uh, the Slot Neil boys not likely to think, but I expect them to win the championship the way they're playing at the minute. I think they're going to win uh, a number of championships, the quality of. They've never won one. So he wanted to be part of that as well as he wanted to be part of Derry. And he just loves, and the way his leadership is growing, he's a real, he's a real good teammate to everybody, and he's improving every day. Anton Toll with with Anthony's son, he hasn't played as much Gaelic. He's home now, unfortunately, in a wee bit of osteopubis, but the two of them should be massive additions to us going forward. Huge. Yeah, no, it, it's it's really exciting, and it was it was so exciting to see Derry's progression. You know the 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 buzz that you got from the league campaign this year, and you carried it into the championship. So. I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully we're seeing much more of that next year, and uh, and we're seeing that continuing. Um, Can I ask two coaching questions? Yeah, 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 yeah. Jump in there. Get rid of 
Rory, the, um, just on, on coaching yourself, coaching, are you the on-field coach? Yeah, I take the myself and Kieran takes some of it as well, but I, I don't know another way, Andy. You know, I came in coaching. Um, uh, as uh, Some of the other golf players, they just were used to it all the time with McGuinness and then myself. And they sort of said, geez, I don't know how some managers, you know, can stand and not take coaching. So it is, that's what they're used to. And particularly, particularly in Derry early on, Andy, I wanted those players and from Anna to feed my personality in the way that I wanted to go about playing, to feed my relentless drive, number one. So it is, but to also get a feel for what the way I wanted them to play, both with the ball, without the ball, on opposition kickouts. And I feel if I wasn't extremely hands on hand, and you know, early on I would have taken a number of sessions to the Kieran and the end of this, but we did got a feel for how I do things. And they have to have their own stamp as well, but they can see the direction I want to go. Now that's evolving now as we've nailed certain certain areas of, of, of how we play, particularly the basic tactical areas. But I feel if I if they don't feel the way I want the game played and the way I expect them to play. And you know, even on an individual basis, you know, small work before training, you know, say with movement, where to win a ball, how to win a ball, you know, you know, your angles of support, how you attack, you know, the, the way you attack space sometimes and understanding their space, the way that, you know, I coach there's you know, you can't just show for a ball out in front. There's different ways, there's different angles, there's different in behind. The chemistry then with players who are able to deliver the ball. I, I just feel I have to be very hands-on on that. Not not to have to, but I want to be. And just last question for me, I promise. The, uh, <laughs> like, during your time from day one when you went coaching into management, have you ever got anyone in to watch your coaching, to analyse you, to assess you? No, there's been people have asked to come up and watch sessions you know, that I know, and I would always ask them. So I would. Okay. And you get a bit of feedback from the people that you're with and even speak to the players as well, Andy, you know. So it is. And um, But I'd be conscious. I'd make it clear that it's not everything I'm going to do is right. So it is. But And you feel free to, to, to let me know. But it, I'd also be very much, I'd love to stand like Jim Gavin on the sideline. You know, I'd love to be Bill Balachek with different coaches and this. Everybody has to stamp their own authority on it. And I'm comfortable at the way I coach. So it is. And, uh, you know, I definitely would learn bits from people. And I I go to watch other people coaching and how they coach certain things. But you've got to, they've got to feel feel who you are as well. I think uh, authenticity is the word you're looking for there, Rory, is it? Yeah, I suppose, yeah. Be, be true to yourself. Um, can I ask you two quick ones as well before we let you go? Because we've kept you way over time here. Sorry. No bother. Uh, your favourite day as a footballer for Fermanagh, am, am I allowed to guess? It's hardly the 3-9 you scored against Monaghan when you broke a championship record in 2 or, or is that fair to say? As a player? Yeah, as a player. No, first time we played defensive. So really? it was. <laughs> yeah, in, uh, yeah, in 2001. So it was, or no, 2002, yeah. I scored 3-9 that day, uh, Tommy, you know, and we played beat man and scored 4-13, you know. But I wouldn't have seen myself as a prolific scorer. I, I would have started, I had to kick scores as frees because Fermanagh didn't have, was, I was a better free taking there There was. But we, we beat Fermanagh, or sorry, Armagh that day, 4-13 to the 2-11. And I was very disappointed with uh, the change in the team that took the corner forward out who didn't score, put another corner forward in that it, it, it crowded my space. And I wasn't very happy going to play Armagh, but Armagh beat us 16 to 1 5, and actually should have beat us about 320 to 1 5, you know. Yeah. But we played Armagh or Westmeath in the qualifiers. And Westmeath, if you remember, should have beat Meath in an All Ireland quarter final, I think, the year before. Remember, Desi missed a free, Desi Dolan in the corner. But we went down to Mullingar and we beat them 14 7. 
we played with two or three up the pitch or the rest behind the ball at the time. And that was a very rewarding victory for us because, you know, you know playing for Fermanagh, yeah, we beat Monon, um, you know, in a, you know, in a couple of championship matches, but beating out Westmead that day was very good. Sorry, I'm just thinking I had another very good day. I enjoyed probably the, even better than that, Tommy. I forget about this. We beat Donegal in Balabuffet in 2000, you know? Hey. And uh, going, in, going into this year, I had an unbeaten record in Balabuffet, believe it or not. Oh, I yeah? never lost either as a player or a manager. I played no one and drawn one. Something like about 16 games, Tommy. Uh, and But we played them in 2000. We beat Mon. And Fermanagh, Fermanagh hadn't won any championship matches from 1983 to 1999, apart from against Antrim. And in 1999, they beat Monon. But in 2000, we beat Monon at home. We went to Donegal and there was still a Tony Boyle playing. And I actually played really well. I scored a lob goal in the first half. Uh, I scored one five in the first half and then I ran into my own man and I scored a point there, but I had a ball. But we beat them in a really epic game. And we ended up going to, to play Armagh. And Armagh beat us 13-12 in an Ulster semi-final. And Armagh team actually brought carried extra time and, and a replay. You know, in all areas yeah, semi-final, yeah. we did very, very good teams. That was probably the most enjoyable team to play with, you know. Okay. I'm I'm glad I asked that one. And uh, when you moved down to Bridges, was there any ever any talk that? Well, I know there was talk because I was reading back old Indo reports that you might go in with Dublin, or was that just all bluster? No, there, there was plenty of talk about it, and you asked me was interested, and of course it was. Yeah, um, I'd stopped playing for Fermanagh, got fed up with it. I wanted to make me life in Dublin, but and this was Dublin at the time. They didn't have that. You know, the you know, Ray Cosgrove was probably. I'm not, I don't want to speak for him, but I don't. He wanted to be the most natural free takers. He took it on at the time, and they didn't have it, but. There was talk about it, but it, it wasn't something that with Dublin or far, so it was over before it started, you know? Okay, fair enough. Uh, any last questions, lads, before we let Rory go? There is one more, Rory. It's a big week in Gaelic football. Special Congress. The debate has been raging all week. We've been kind of, I suppose, one of the homes for it and off the ball. I think we've had about nine, ten hours of debates from all sides, all angles. We know that there's a strong majority from the GPA coming out in favour of it. We've heard some strong words from... Ulster, in terms of Brian McAvoy uh, being completely against it, he reckons that it'd be Turkey's voting for Christmas if if counties voted for it. And Michael Reynolds was very strong today, the Leinster secretary. Um, he, he's totally against it as well. So I'd like to know where you stand because you've you've had one of the most fascinating careers in football. It's brought you through so many counties, whether it be college in Sligo, football in Cavan, and Antrim, playing in Fermanagh, Dublin, coaching in Derry, Donegal, like. I don't know how many counties that is. It's about 10, 11, 12. Like, it's, it's fascinating. Like, where, where do you stand on this? Uh, I'm very much agree with Brian McAvoy. I actually listened whenever I, you, 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 you contacted me. I listened to it. I uh, wasn't that happy with the question from your, your, your buddies. So it is. Um, I thought it was a bit waffly. Brian McAvoy hit home. He's a very passionate GA man. So he is. Uh, I'm completely against Proposal B. So I am. I think when you grow up, and the first day I ever met Paddy was after Dublin won their first Leinster uh, when he was only 14 and I met him uh, after the game. <laughs> so it, it, so he was in 2002. <laughs> and it, it, it's oh, not man. that long ago. So it's not the, the, the elation of Dublin. So it's not, um, I think there's two things you can win, um, you know, you know as, a, as a young GA player, a provincial championship and an All-Ireland. And people are saying, you know, some of the arguments are that, uh, our teams have no realistic chance of winning all Ireland. That's not going to change no matter what. So it's not, you know, the Premiership can only be won by two or three teams. There's not, there's hardly going to be a, 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 a foreign team, foreign, just the way Newcastle were taking over. Somebody's not going to take over Waterford Gaelic footballers or not going to take over Fermanagh Gaelic footballers from there and finance them. I think still in Fermanagh, you've a dream of winning a provincial championship. 
And to take that away would be totally wrong. I, now, I, the, the provincials still would exist. The only not, thing they're taking away is the, is the link between... The link. It, there'd be glorified challenge games. So there. Do you really think that? There's 100%. Yeah. 100%. And I think any player... Uh, the GPA made a comment, speaking to some of the players, there was no big dialogue in many of the counties that I've spoken to about the players about it. Um, so it isn't. I, I just believe it's it's flawed. I, I, I think if you look at the provincial championships, I was down at two Connacht finals in the last four or five years, which were Scommon won. Was mm-hmm. The elation on that pitch, um, Andy lives in the Roscommon border, was unbelievable. So it was. Calvin winning it last year, Tipperary. If you look at Connacht, for example, you've Mayo hunting for it. You've Sle- sorry, you've uh, Galway, you've Roscommon. In the last number, in 2015, Sligo were in the final. In 2013, London were. And the year they all went out, so the pressure's on you, right? So it is. If you look at all, <laughs> that's saying I had to look at them. Uh, yeah. If you look at Ulster, I was thinking Mayo there for a second. If, you know, <laughs> yeah. if you look at Ulster, if you look at Ulster, every Ulster county has been in an Ulster final, and it is massive what it means to Fermanagh, Antrim, Cavan. Down, even though they haven't won them, but Cavan have won them. Um, Monster has always been the same. So it is, it has been Kerry and Cork. Cork aren't happy with the way they're progressing themselves. It's not easy for Waterford and, and Tipperary and Limerick there, who are very strong dual counties. That has been taken into account. So it isn't. Um, the, the elephant in the room, and I'm a massive Dublin GA supporter, is Dublin. Their dominance. Paddy, how many, how many um, adult teams of Bridget's? Uh, six. They used eight, to have six. Eight, nine. Eight or nine now, is it? Probably, yeah. Yeah, it used to be six. The numbers in Dublin, I mean, Dublin are going to be very untouchable and Leinster, it's up to Kildare and, and Meath and other counties. But going back to it, yeah, the, this, the, one of the other big flaws in, in, in Proposal B, why would you want, why would you penalise the number sixth ranked team in the country that they don't get into all Ireland? Well, and on that one, the the number six ranked team in the country has lost four championship games. And I think in any yeah. championship year, no matter what championship it is, whether it's club championship or it's the regular championship we have at the minute, if you lose but, four games in championship, you're out. Yeah. Well, Donegal won the All-Ireland nearly sure in Division 12 coming from sixth. We won the last league. That was, in the league. that was in the league though. Yeah, and you we were unbeaten. You had 15 out of 16 yeah, games. Yeah, but we, the fin- we finished sixth in the league. Why would you reward a team ranked number 23 or four and punish a team number ranked number six? I, I 100% agree the proposal B is 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 flawed 100% yeah. and I think yeah. that there's the biggest problem with it is that they're trying to please too many people yes. that's genuinely what I think is the biggest problem and I totally agree with you not every county can win Sam Maguire like look at the look at the look at him from Anna I know you were utterly frustrated as a player you always believed in I suppose your own county's hopes and what you could achieve and you know from Anna what a punch above their weights at times in those years yeah. um Look at the population in some counties as compared to, compared to Dublin. You mentioned Dublin 2002 there. We know that the GA president at the time, Sean Kelly, put a committee in place yeah. and they put a strategy in place to save football in the capital. Yeah. A lot of money's gone into it. It started to be redress, redressed across the board. But all of that's besides, there's so many different conversations going on here. The structures don't feel right. It feels like we're, we're set up in a competition with Ulster, Munster, Leinster, Connacht, championships that were created by lines drawn 150 years ago. I just feel like it doesn't serve the players that put so much in these days. Like, I'm sure you see it yourself, all the training that goes in above in Derry, all the commitments. And, like, it's class that Derry are flying at the minute. But, like, would those boys be putting it in if if they're only getting one, one two championship games a year? No, I, I agree. agree with what you said. It is flawed. 
So it is. And if you're asking me, you know, and, and you've seen some of the way other players at the time could win provincial medals would win in a couple of handy games or get yeah. the one final. If you look at Derry, what we had to come through or Times Donegal and Sure Tyrone, I, I wouldn't be against four conference type things. So it wouldn't. Were a wee bit like the the, the American sports yeah. zone, something like that. But I don't see why you should reward teams finishing number twenty three or four and penalise teams ranked sixth and seventh. So it isn't. We already have the national league, and I, I send you a text. Why don't we make three divisions? Yeah, you know, a ten and eleven and eleven. Give teams at least nine or ten games against teams at their own level. Then go into a top sixteen, two groups of eight or four fours, something like that, where you have a a conference A, B, C, D, and if you win that, you go straight into a semi-final or whatever way you go, something like that. But I, I don't see, I don't see why teams, you know, in Division Three or Four. Someone told me, you know, in the last few days, there's nine or ten teams in the last 10, 12 years have never gone out of Division Three. You know, they've got never got as high as Division Two. Do you know what I mean? Is that honestly going to change? And why would you reward them and penalise, you know, Monaghan or Donegal or Tyrone or or Galway for finishing sixth, seventh in, in the thing? I think that would be very demoralising. 100% I, I read your structure and I'll be honest I read it and I definitely agreed with some parts of it but part of me has felt that I, I can't really entertain any other structures I know there was a column at the weekend putting forward a couple of other structures I'm just struggling to entertain other structures at the minute I just think that some sort of change has to happen to fix the championship I don't think B is perfect but I think if you get it in you could tweak it you could fix it but I suppose I, that's, I, that's right I, I think everybody should just settle we didn't get a chance for the Tapton Cup Let's see, is, can that be a success? Mm. You know, where you have the bottom 16 teams. Like, you're speaking to someone here, I, my, my second, well, first proper year, 1996, we won the All-Ireland B. There was seven or 8,000 at a replay in Carrick and Shannon. So it was, was... Was that any good back then? Was that it any... Us, it was, yeah. It gave us momentum. So it did. And it was played in December. But if, you know, if the bottom 16 finish in the Talton Cup through your National League and you don't get to win your provincial, or provincial final, go into that and let's give that a trial, rather than penalising teams finishing higher up the league. You know, like, we've got to understand there's always been hammerings. There always will be. Mm. Like, uh, there was a Donegal quarterfinal yesterday, 117 to two points. Yeah. You know, Kilcar, you know, are we going to change every club championship? You know, or, or I'm open to going like club championship, senior, intermediate and junior. Yeah. I think the lady structure is illustrated as well, how well that's yeah. worked. You know, we yeah. saw the likes of Mead coming from intermediate. There's my Mead mention, lads, first yeah. time on the pod this week. So, <laughs> Rory, look, you've been absolutely incredible with your time. I, yeah, I've no kept problem. you way over this week. So thanks for right. joining us. Fascinating chat. Really appreciate you joining us this week in the football pod. Thanks for me and Rory. Cheers, Tommy. Thank you. Welcome back to episode 24 of the football pod with Paddy and Andy. That was incredible, Rory Gallagher. I don't think I have much left in Paddy Andrew's Zoom time. He's about to get clocked out here, I think. <laughs> I've nothing left to give here. We, we do have some... Look, that was fascinating with Rory Gallagher. Like, what a man. Class. Unbelievable. We do have some breaking news in the football pod. There's been a massive appointment in Galway. Keen O'Neill has joined. He's just been appointed as a coach alongside Pork Joyce. It's the fifth county he's worked with. Cork, Kildare, Mayo, Kerry, Andy, can you talk to us about Keane O'Neill? Yeah, brilliant guy. Um, a great time for him. He came into us in 2012, and I would say he was a key driver for us attaining the levels we needed to get to, or to know what level we needed to get to. He a huge success with Tip at the in the hurlers just before that and uh, came into us and just raised the standard with a couple of others right from the get-go. So he's a huge appointment for Galway, lads. He is um, 
very, very confident man. Very confident man, knows his abilities um, and knows what he can bring to the table. And I think it's a very shrewd appointment by uh, by Park Joyce. Looking at the raw materials in that Galway squad, and we know that they're look, they're not a million miles away. They just really haven't delivered in the last two years. Those those games against Mayo have been very, very close. Can Keane O'Neill give them some of what they've been lacking or point them in the right direction, as he did for you back in 2012? Yeah, well, some of the players that haven't played for them, uh, like Killian McDade and them guys that didn't play last year, I think we'll be looking at that news and thinking, that's a big move, you know. Um, just what he's done in the game, what he's done in both hurling and football, is um, education knowledge from a UCC point of view and all his work that he's done. Um, he will fill that room with confidence, and it's a, it's a big point. And it's funny, I, I, uh, James will be looking at that. James and himself worked together, and would have had a good relationship at the time. And I'm sure there's a, I, I'm not sure if there'll be an over and back text, but I, I'm sure there's a, a right smile for both of them tonight. You know? Yeah, but, no, it's a, it's a pity James Horn didn't save that Midwest interview for tomorrow. He yeah, did, a, he, yeah, did, he did yeah, a big piece of Midwest today where he spoke about. Yeah. Uh, he kind of rubbished uh, I didn't realise there was that many rumours going around of riffs in the backroom team maybe that's what you get when you're not in the county but um, he rubbished that there was any issues with himself and Kieran McDonald and James Burke and he said the three of them are plotting and planning for 2022 already so yeah they could have asked him a couple of questions about Keanu Neal tomorrow maybe Paddy you're about to jump in there sorry yeah I, I think it's a massive appointment for Galway it, it's you look at how the Connacht final went from this year the frustration you could hear it in Park Joyce's interview after the game just disappointed that they started so well in the first half and just completely faded in the second half. And, and Mayo ultimately looked very similar to what Mayo did against Dublin in the in the All Ireland semi final. They overran them. They, they bullied them off the pitch. And someone like Keane O'Neill coming in, look at what he's done. His track record with teams. He has them firing on all cylinders. He has them fit and ready to rock. And he just has experience that that maybe Joyce and Divo probably don't have at senior inter county level. You know. Two iconic players for Galway. Divo's obviously won a couple of Sigursons with UCD and things like that. Mm. But Keane O'Neill has been around the game for a long time and can bring in that basically a sounding board for the two guys. You know, I, I think it's a really, really top management ticket. Now, it's done in October. You know, you're probably not going to be starting games for probably three or four months down the line. So it gives them time to look at that. I think it's a massive appointment for them. I, I really, really do. Uh, and it puts Galway right in the mix now to, to try and win it's the title. It's exciting. It's, a, it's exciting stuff. Uh, last word, lads, before we go. And Paddy, there's 90 seconds left in the timer, so we, we can be quick here. But Tommy Walsh retired today. Didn't yeah. realise he was 33 years old. I suppose I didn't realise that... 33. 33. You're 30... Are you the same age? 32, okay. Sorry about that. Um, Tommy Walsh, I suppose, had two parts to his carry career. He had that, you know, exhilarating person onto the scene, young footballer of the year. He won two, he won All Ireland in 2009. Um, he had two All Ireland medals, sorry. He was under, what, did he win an under 21 All Ireland? Yeah, he did. He, in epic kind of couple under of games. 21 21s. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, full forward with Donny in 09, goes off to the AFL, plays with St. Kilda, plays with Sydney Swans, rips the hamstring off the bone. And I, I feel like that he suffered a lot for that. But he came back to Kerry in 18 and he had big moments. He had big moments against G in 19. Um, I suppose it f- didn't fully happen for him. I think he probably was frustrated a bit as well, you know, and it's yeah, been tough I, for him. I, I don't think he, he, he probably made himself. And like I haven't seen a statement today. He probably never got back to the levels of, of the early part of his career. And that's just a horrific injury that, that, that you get when you're down in Australia. 
and just being away from the game for, for so many years. We see Conor McKenna probably struggling to adapt and get back to the levels he he could be at prior to going to Australia. He said it himself last week. But I actually I played in that game. I was um I was one cornerback marking marking the gooch. I think uh, Dennis Bastic was full back marking Declan O'Sullivan. And Tommy Walsh was out. I think Brian Cullen was marking Tommy Walsh or Paul Galvin. But that was a that was a phenomenal Kerry team. Yeah. You know, that team of the of the Naughties, along with Tyrone, were the two top teams. I think Tyrone won three and Kerry won four of them. And Cork were very strong at that time as well. But Tommy Walsh was a freak at the time. And look, if he never went to Australia, could he have been along with Donaghy and Gooch to the forefront of of Kerry maybe putting a halt to to our evolution and Mayo and Donegal coming along in the next decade? But he had a spectacular start to his career. He's yeah. given it those since he got back and probably the injuries just never let him get back to the peak that he was at when he was 19, 20 years of age. But like Rory Gallagher touched on it there, myself and Andy touched on it as well. When you get to a certain age and a certain level and certain miles on the clock, you just can't really do the things you used to be able to do. That's a, it's a very difficult thing for any player, particularly at an elite level and particularly yeah. at an inter-county level not to be able to reach those heights anymore. You know, that's that's mentally a really, really difficult thing to do. So for Tommy, I wish him all the best. Like I say, I had the fortune of playing against him a couple of times uh, tr- throughout my career, and now Andy's the same as well. Total servant to, to, to Kerry GAA. And probably the best days of what we see him in Kerry was in that, that phenomenal, phenomenal All-Ireland yeah. 2009, where he came out of nowhere and blitzed everyone to win it. Yeah. And he was well as a player of the year. Just, just on Tommy, I think Rory probably covered what happened to Tommy Walsh there as well. Yeah. A hamstring injury, of course, definitely took a half yard. Um, but before he went in 08 and 09, it was kicking, and you were kicking in over the six, and you were getting it into Donny. And remember, Donny came on in 04. Uh, I think um, Kerry went up, nearly lost to Longford. Donny came on in 04, changed the game. They used that tactic for five or six years, and Tommy Walsh came in at that moment. Mm. But when he went, it went completely defensive football. Yeah. When he came back then, it was a nearly a hybrid between both. It wasn't that big long kick because he just put a sweeper in, or it wasn't just so it became a bit of a running stroke bouncer into your hands. Now it's come into the mark. So he probably got caught in that little transition of play as well, in terms of when he came back, the game didn't suit him as much as before he left. But what a career, that's Jesus. Ah, unbelievable. All Ireland winner, um, underage senior level, um, played in finals before he left. Out to Australia, played, came back in, played with Kerry again. Great career. Uh, the son probably, of a Kerry, son of a Kerry legend as well, which which can never be easy, I suppose. And there's medals rattling around in the pocket at home. Pretty pretty decent run. Uh, yeah, and to be fair to him, Tommy Walsh, and I think it's in keeping with his character, didn't actually release a retirement statement today. It was Jack O'Connor that released the news. He actually broke it. So Tommy's actually, I think. You know, he's pretty quiet. I think we've had him on off the ball maybe once over the last while. So I look forward to trying to get him on the show over the next wee while and trying to get and him. We're 32 33 there. We've, we've talked about a new manager comes in. You always know you're either, I'm really committed to this. He might chop me. You're always kind of in that. Me and Paddy have been caught there at times. And yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's not an easy place to be. Have so. a set thing with 100%. Yeah. 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 What a career, though. Well done. Yeah, unbelievable. Folks, thanks very much for listening in this week to episode 24 of the Football Pod. And I would like to thank Andy Moore for taking time out of his busy schedule and for Paddy Andrews for turning up this week and for staying awake throughout it. He done were, well. He do, the kid done well. You were both great, lads. And a, a huge thanks. 
the huge thanks to our guest Rory Gallagher as well this week it was fascinating yeah. God that man loves football it was just effective yeah. it was coming through the screen so I hope you all enjoyed it at home do hit subscribe we will be back with you next week we will know what the crack is with Congress and we will have another big interview lined up that I'll tell you about on the Football Pod Instagram or Twitter account over the next couple of days thanks very much folks bye bye good night gents bye bye good night.